Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Mr. Davis. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? Everything's great. I am ready for the Cardinals to get back into action tonight. The Cardinals will send Miles Michaelis to the mound at Milwaukee against Doogie Hauser. And <laughs> if the Cardinals win the game, they win the division. That's a good that that is a good storyline and that is a great opportunity to not only win the division, but win it versus a division opponent in a division opponent's hometown. Uh, you get to celebrate in their locker room. So, you know, you're playing for something tonight. I didn't know Doogie Hauser was pitching. It's a, it's gonna be a good kind matchup. Of young, yeah, young guy. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Let's see how he, how well he does. So he had a game <laughs> against the Cardinals last year. Uh, the old uh, baseball term is that he shoved. Yeah. He, uh, he had a game last year where he shoved against the Cardinals in 2021 on a Saturday night in Milwaukee. And the Cardinals just had no answer for the guy. Uh, they win 4 nothing. He allows... Three hits uh, in nine innings, complete game shutout, struck out seven, didn't walk anybody. And the Cardinals, like I said, they didn't have an answer for Adrian Hauser last September 4th. Hopefully, tonight is a little bit different. It has to be. Uh, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. The bat's been a little bit slow. Um, they did finally get off the schneid and, and scoring some runs in, in L.A., but just not not having the amount of success game in and game out that you want them to have. Uh, so tonight... They got to get some runs on the board. And they got to. They got to. Michaelis has to has to step up and have a very good night pitching. Um, you know, prevent them from scoring runs and and offensively, Goldschmidt got to get the bat going and and he's really the catalyst for this entire team. When he's rolling, you see this team having a lot of success. And I think you know those two things correlate. Him not having much success at the plate. I think you said he was around 200, 224 for for right. September. Um, so he's got to he's got to he's got to step it up tonight for this offense to get rolling. His September has been one as great as he's been this season. Paul Goldschmidt so far this month, as Kerry mentioned, hitting 224 with only a 322 on base, a 382 slug, and in 87 plate appearances, only has two homers and seven RBIs in the month. So he needs to turn things around too. And the Cardinals, I think, Kerry, we're dealing with the whole celebration of 700, the approach to 700, and then the celebration of 700. And everybody on the team was thinking about it. And sometimes I think we have a tendency to forget that the the pressures inherent in chasing records don't apply just to the player. They apply right. to the team, too. Last night, the Yankees lost to the Blue Jays 3-2. to two, And Aaron Judge now has gone six straight games without a home run where he's trying to catch Roger Maris. And I think that affects the whole team. Yeah, you start putting pressure on yourself to, to get it done and get it out of the way. And instead of, I think, taking the at-bats as they come, you know, taking the pitches where they need to go, you start trying to maybe pull and and pull pitches out of the out of the yard. So there are there are things that as a as a baseball player, as a professional athlete, sometimes 
it's more mental than it is physical. Mm-hmm. And once you get into a mental space where you're thinking about it so much, I think that's possibly where Goldie is right now. He's thinking about it a lot, not not having the success that you want. And it starts to just pitch after pitch, at bat after at bat, it's not going well. Yeah. All it takes is a hit here, a hard hit ball, even if it's an out. A hard hit ball feels better. It feels to yourself like, oh, okay, I got it. there it is. Now, yeah. I, now the timing is back. So a couple of hard hit balls tonight will make me feel better. I'm sure to make Goldie feel better. And I think this offense will begin rolling once he does that. I'm, I'm with you. So hopefully the Cardinals can put the division away tonight. There's only one divisional race in baseball. The Braves beat the Orioles last night 8 to nothing, And the Braves trail the Mets by one game in the NL East. And those two teams, the Braves and the Mets, play this weekend. And that should be epic because both of those teams are great. Both of those teams have a great opportunity once the playoffs start, but that opportunity is a lot better once they they win the division. If you if you get a bye in the first round, so the Mets, the rest or the Braves rather, uh, after that win last night, uh, it. They won eight. It was Washington that they beat. I'm sorry, I said Baltimore. They they beat Washington eight to nothing. They get two more against Washington, and then they play against the Mets at home this weekend. And then the Braves wind up at Miami. Meanwhile, the Mets this week, in addition to having the weekend series, which will be really fun at New York uh, at Atlanta, the Mets have Miami tonight and tomorrow night, and then over the weekend or past the weekend, past Atlanta. They're at home against Washington. So that one should go down to the last day. And that's good. I mean, for them and for us, because they, now those guys are not resting. I think they 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 have they have more games that they have to play. Um, but to be going down to the wire for the for the Mets and the, and the and the Braves to have an opportunity to finish off and get to play each other in a series, in a three game series to where to determine bye. who is going to get the bye. You know, those guys are going to be. You know, really giving it everything they got to get that by because it's it's extremely important to have that time off. And the, the New York Football Giants, because <sighs> of Aaron Judge and because of the Mets and the Yankees being in first place, the Giants are saying, "Whew, yeah, nobody's got to talk about what we did last <laughs> night." Two and zero going into the game, right? And and Man. you lose to Cooper Rush. I mean, Cooper <laughs> Rush may not be as bad as as some think, but you can't lose that game at home versus and you're the three and zero team versus mm-hmm. a backup quarterback. I guess maybe it was a little bit of fool's gold what you saw from the Giants the first couple of weeks. They only won, I think, by a combined total of five points, mm-hmm. roughly around there. So maybe maybe it was a little bit of fool's gold. Um, Daniel Jones is still Daniel Jones. And, you know, then, then Shepard goes down, I think, with a yeah. season-ending injury last night, uh, last play of the game or uh, last offensive play of the game. It, it's just it's the New York Giants. It's you know, who they are. I kind of like Daniel Jones about 75% of the time. Do you? I I think he's got a good arm. He obviously can run. I wonder what would happen if he had an offensive line. I I, I feel like he leaves a lot to be desired. And I think, I mean, in in, in fairness, you know, he threw an interception last night. His receiver fell down coming out of the break. He looked looked to me like he was going to fall down five yards earlier. (laughs) He was just rumbling, stumbling, and then stumbled on down. Uh, So sometimes his receivers aren't giving him that much help. But I do do agree. But they drafted Evan Neal in the first round. That's a guy that that you expect to, to, first round draft, but you expect him to be, you know, one of your guys. I think they're trying to correct it, but it just may be they didn't pick up Daniel Jones' fifth option, fifth year option. So that, that, that you lets something. you know what they think of him as a quarterback and probably where they'll be looking, you know, once the draft starts next season. I have a philosophy about Alabama offensive linemen. 
and that is that Nick Saban and his staff, and right now he's got the old Jacksonville coach, Doug Marone, as his offensive line coach there. Always has a good offensive coordinator, offensive, good offensive line coach. I really think that that coaching staff gets the most out of offensive linemen that there is to get. And then when they get drafted into the NFL, there's nowhere else to yeah. go. They're as good as they can get. They, they, they've reached their peak yeah. in college, and, and sometimes that's not great. I mean, if you are an elite talent and you can sustain that once you get to the league, sure. But most of these guys need to mature, need to grow, and need to have some things that they need to learn to get even better. If they've reached the, the the maximum capacity, it's going to be a tough you know tough outgoing for them each season to try to block some of these very very talented defensive ends and, and linebackers that are blitzing off the edge. You look at a guy like Alex Leatherwood got cut after his rookie <sighs> yeah. year, right? Yeah, yeah. You look at a guy like Neil. I mean, Collins lasted a long time, the the old fat right tackle that played for the Vikings and Bengals, but. He he wasn't an All Pro guy. Right. He wasn't a dominant player. I don't know that Alabama's under the Saban era. Have they had like a dominant Matthew? You can weigh in here. A dominant offensive lineman Not, in the league. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I think really quarterbacks and and linemen. I, mm-hmm. Now Tua and and Jalen are are playing well now. But last if this time last year you were thinking that they were going to be replaced and. You haven't had a, a quarterback from Alabama that you can, you know, name off the top of your Greg McElroy or, or McCarron. McCarron. You haven't had that type of quarterback. Uh, they've won championships in, in, in college, but they hadn't had to, the success. But the offensive line is similar. Is similar. You know, they, they Alabama is more of a skill position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're running back, Wide receiver, DB, you know, linebackers, I think, have done really good. But. Other than that, offensive line is – these line, I think, has done well also. Mm-hmm. But offensive yeah. line has been a, a bit of a struggle once they get to the NFL. Yeah. Matthew has maybe found somebody? Uh, yeah, there's been a couple of good ones. We Brad, have to search. Bradley Bozeman's been solid for the, for the Ravens. Uh, Ravens. Okay. Um, Jedrick Willis has been really good. Jedrick with yeah, the Browns. That's a good one. With, with the Browns. Okay. And – they gave him a contract extension. Cam Robinson's not doing that bad, I guess, with mm. uh, with the Jaguars. Yeah, he's been yeah. mediocre. Yeah. I yeah. think he got the contract yeah. extension because he was there. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's our mean, guy. But, but that's, that's our guy. But that's pretty much it. But um, uh, I don't think any Pro Bowls. I don't think any not, of those. Jedrick Wilson. I mean, Willis should have been to one, right? Is, is Landon Diggerson playing for the Eagles? I don't, I don't think he's think starting. So. No. Yeah, so that, that, so that'd be another one who's who's not really living up right now to, to his level. Yeah. Willis, I think made the Pro Bowl. Yeah, he yeah. was. I mean, he was really good. He yeah. I honestly think he should have gotten more consideration for Rookie of the Year. Uh, that good preseason victory for the Blues last night in Dallas, four nothing over the Stars, and the Blues getting some good work from guys that we've talked about already. First period, 13-13 in, and Logan Brown nets the first Blues goal. Blues get it into the middle, take a shot that's blocked. Who'd open the open net? He can't get back. The Blues score, and Logan Brown finds the net again from the bottom of the far circle. The rebound came right to him. He puts it in. It's one nothing Blues. 6.47 to go in the first. And before the period was out, Nadub and Logan Brown assisted on Josh Levo's first of the preseason. Levo to Brown to Levo. And a give and go. And it's Tappers wide of the goal. Brown back to Levo. Slapper goal. Josh Levo on the far side on a great feed from Brown. 2 nothing Blues. 55.6 to play in the first period. Levo scored again midway through the second period. Will Bitten scoring at 13-01 of the third. The Blues win it by a score of 4-0. Thomas Grice was the starting goalie. He went a period of shutout goalie, and then Colton Ellis came in and finished up. He went the last 40 minutes. Here is Craig Bruby on Levo and Brown. 
Yeah, I think um, you know Brownie. He did a did a good job, um, just moving his feet without the puck and getting back down in his own zone and and, and sorting things out and doing a good job. And uh, Leva was strong on the walls, which was a good thing. You know, got to be strong on the walls coming out of your own zone. I thought he did a good job there. And if you do things like that, if, if you're strong on the boards, if you are strong on the puck, and you play a reasonably physical game, and you're playing for Craig Bruby, you can impress him during training camp. That's how you can make a team. That is always a, a <laughs> recipe for success. And, and you know, putting the puck in the net doesn't hurt also. He's no. got three goals in, in two games. I think he's doing a very good job. So uh, putting himself in a position to, to find some playing time on this team uh, once the season starts. And the Blues are getting ready for their preseason opener now, their preseason home opener coming up as they will take on uh, who, who do they play tomorrow night? I don't even have the schedule here. I'll figure it out. But they, the Blues will be back home and it'll be tomorrow night and you'll hear it here on 101 ESPN. I should be looking at my board up there, but even uh, my board's not there. Play Chicago tomorrow and the Columbus on Thursday. There we home. go. There you go. Thank you, sir. <laughs> See, somebody's paying attention in here. That's Kerry. I'm Randy, and it's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, week three in the NFL complete. Four downs from the NFL next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Week three is complete in the NFL, and it's time for four downs. First down. All right, CD, how about Lamar Jackson? He's betting on himself. We all know that this year, right? He's going to be a free agent after the year. If he really performs well, the Ravens can either sign him to a monster contract or they can franchise him. He recorded four touchdown passes with a 110.3 passer rating and added 107 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown in the Ravens' win at New England. Jackson is the second player. You talk about betting on yourself. Not a bad thing to make history, right? <laughs> second player in NFL history with at least four touchdown passes, 100 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown in a single game. Joins Randall Cunningham, who did that with four TD passes, 124 rushing yards, and a rushing touchdown back in 1990. Lamar is also... The first player, first and only player in NFL history with three touchdown passes and 119 yards this week. He's the first player in the Super Bowl era to have at least three three TD passes and 100 or more rushing yards in consecutive games. First ever. He is playing at an all-time level, and the Ravens are going to regret the fact that they did not pay this man when they could have. If he continues this, I think right now he would be my choice for for MVP, just the the way that he's playing. I know know they lost one game, uh, which he, I mean, he's doing everything. You want him to play cornerback as well, <laughs> that would be the only way he could have helped them win that game against Miami. Um, just playing at an all-time level. I heard earlier today that his his um, his fantasy points for the last two games are the highest since what would have been 1950. <laughs> and, and obviously, there was no fantasy football in 1950. So for a two-game stretch, his two his last two games have been the highest uh, fantasy output you know ever essentially. So it's 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 amazing what he's doing. And as I said, the fact that he's doing it with the, the, the cast of characters that are around him, you don't – I don't know who they're le- – he's the leading rusher on the team. Yep. They don't have a guy that he can hand the ball to. J.K. Dobbins has not come back around just yet. Um, Rashad Bateman is his, is his receiver as well as Mark Andrews, and he's still doing this at an all-time level. And it's just – to me, watching him play football is a thing of art. Not, I, this is coming mm-hmm. from a, a true stiller in, at heart. 
watching him play th- play this way for the Baltimore Ravens is amazing to me, and I am a, I am a fan of him. Let me give you one more opinion about Lamar. I believe if he ran the ball as much as a typical 2022 good NFL quarterback, if he ran it as much as Josh Allen or ran it as much as Patrick Mahomes, I think he'd still be great because I think his throwing ability, I think his arm talent is really underrated because his leg talent is so great. I I agree with you. I think he has one of the strongest arms that I've ever seen. And just his ability, it's not even a, a, he's not even really getting into the throws. It's mostly arm talent and just his ability to whip it to the receivers from any arm angle and and with some velocity on it. Uh, So it's, it's just watching him play football. Hopefully he stays healthy the entire season because that team is going to lean on him. 100% to make every play that they need to make. And for his sake, to get paid at the end of the season Mm -hmm. is going to be fun to watch how it goes. Second down. Randy, we talked about Lamar. Now we got to go to Jalen Hurts because Mm -hmm. he is also playing at a very high level. And, and, you know, watching him, the addition of A.J. Brown and what he's brought to this offense, and then you forget. You you, you watch A.J. Brown go off in the first game, and Devontae Smith had zero catches, I believe. And then you go into the second game and Devontae Smith gets rolling a little bit more. And then you go into this game and Devontae Smith goes eight for 169 and one touchdown. And A.J. Brown, those two together, those two receivers, you you do not have enough defensive backs on the field to be able to, to, to stop them. You're going to have to double or lean a safety to one of them. That means the other one is going to have a great day. And, so, and then you have Jalen Hurts who is playing, getting them the ball, running the ball successfully. Miles Sanders is going a little bit, but hasn't gotten going really. This offense for the for the Philadelphia Eagles is 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 spectacular. And then you have Darius Slay as your cornerback on the other end, who is locked. Put a receiver in front of him. You saw what he did a couple of weeks ago against Justin Justin Jefferson, who some think is one of the best receivers in the league. He had as many catches as Justin did. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so you 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 look at this team and what they are able to do, offensively, defensively. I think this team is the elite class of the of the NFC right now, obviously in the NFC East, but the NFC as a conference, I think they are the team to watch for the entire season because if Jalen Hurts continues to play at a, at a at the level that he's playing at, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, this team is going to roll all season long. Okay, you're talking to a guy who thought that Cade McNown and AJ McCarron were going to be good NFL quarterbacks. Oh, so okay. I, I got nothing into <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm basically like an NFL scout in terms of scouting quarterbacks. Uh, you hit or miss. Yeah, right. 50%. You're good. But I remember watching Jalen Hurts and hearing Jalen Hurts. Okay, he's. By all accounts, a great guy. His teammates love him. He's a leader. We know he can throw. We know he can run. And he's coming out of Oklahoma. And I'm I'm wondering, why aren't we hearing the same things about Jalen Hurts that we heard about Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray? Because he can do all of those right. things. And I think he's a better leader than those guys are. I, I, he probably. And he goes in the second round. I, I, you know, I don't know what that was. He transferred, obviously, from Alabama to Oklahoma and, and still had a very good career. And when you talk about... Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, you there there's something a little bit more flashy, I think, about those guys that that it kinda it, it attracts your eyes to it. Jalen Hurst is just gonna show up and do his job. He's not gonna talk a lot. He's not gonna have a lot of, you know, outside factors or things that are are attached to him. He's gonna play football and he's a football I, I think he's a football junkie. Just mm-hmm, watching yeah. him and understanding how he goes about his business, it's fun for me to see him have the success success that he's having. That 
personality, the what he showed after he got benched in favor of Tua. That's what I want to my yes. quarterback. Yes. Leadership. Mm-hmm. Third down. All right, CD, I know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost on Sunday to the Packers, all right? They did. But the Tampa Bay defense in three games has allowed 27 points. They're allowing nine points a game. They're fourth in the NFL in yards allowed. And we tend to overlook, because Brady is so overarching there, we tend to overlook the fact that Tampa Bay's defense is still really good. They've still got Vita Vea up front. The rest of their back seven includes Devin White still and Levante David and Shaq Barrett is still there. Uh, They still have Carlton Davis and Antoine Winfield. And I I look at that South Division. Dennis Allen of New Orleans is having to answer questions about whether he's going to keep Jameis Winston as his quarterback. Carolina, we don't know what they're going to be. Atlanta, Marcus Mariota is their starter, although they look like they might be making a move. But... Even with the bad offense, I can see the defense carrying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a division title. Well, they're going to have to because until these receivers get healthy, Mike Evans will be back this week. Uh, He was suspended for one game, but, you know, Julio Jones is out. Chris Godwin is out. I I don't even know who – Gronk is no longer there, so you don't have that threat over the middle. They are going to have to – lean heavily on Leonard Fournette in the run game, and their left tackle is out. They, yep. they have a, 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 a ton of injuries on that offense that they're going to have to lean on that defense. Defense may have to score some points and hold on until Tom Brady can get some guys healthy and allow them to put points on the board. I think it's going to be a struggle for them, but they are in the NFC South, which I actually thought the, the New Orleans Saints would be the team to come out of there based on the amount of talent that they have. But the quarterback position, Jameis Winston, I think, is dealing with fractures in his back and he's mm-hmm. still playing and not playing great. If you're going to be out there, you got to play You got to play well enough to win games. New Orleans' defense is playing well enough for them to win games, but offensively they're struggling. So when you look at the division as a total, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are probably the, the the elite the elite of that division right now. And the Bucks did get Shaq Mason back at right guard, but their center, left guard, and left tackle right now, only the, these guys' family and friends know they're in the NFL. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, and, and they're coaches. Yeah, they're coaches. They, Brady, they're coaches. Brady, yeah, they're Brady. Know their names. What's your name again, sir? My son? <laughs> yeah. What year is this? Huh. All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah, they better. <laughs> Fourth down. This one, this one is going to be a little bit, I don't know, right? I, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, they, they've won their last two games. They, they, they had a very good game last week against the Chargers where they go out to L.A. and really put a thumping on a Chargers team that, you know, should be one of the top teams in the AFC West. They they beat the Colts at home, which they've done every time. They've beaten the Colts since 2014 at home. They have not lost a game since 2014 against the, the Indianapolis Colts. But they lost their opening game to the Washington Commanders. And if you watched Washington at all at any point this season, eh, not great. So, I'm not certain of who this team is. I think uh, I think um, Trevor Lawrence and at, at quarterback is going to be a very good guy. He does. He had 262 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions in in his last game against the Chargers. Travis Etienne, who was the guy you thought would be the the lead dog in that running back running back mm-hmm. room, is not. Is actually James Robinson, who is playing well also. So offensively, I think that they are going to be okay. It's it's. It's the loss to the Commanders that scare me, but I, when I'm looking at this division, this AFC South mm-hmm. division, Houston, no. Uh, Tennessee, meh. 
Probably not. I, I don't trust uh, Tannehill. And then you have the Colts, who they are they 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 got, they eked out a win against the Chiefs. And again, it's the Chiefs, but they had to eke it out. They were winless up until that point. You may be looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars as your AFC South division champions. And a year ago today, you would not have thought that the Jacksonville Jaguars had a chance to do anything within the next two to three years, the way that they were being run by Urban Meyer. Doug Peterson has fixed some things. Trevor Lawrence has figured some things out. And they may be a team that that could potentially win the AFC South. I don't know how far they go in the playoffs, but winning your division as a young team with mm-hmm. a young core is a great start. So it might have been exactly a year ago today that Urban Meyer stayed home, went to his bar, was checking the oil <laughs> of a co-ed. So... That was the culture that they're dealing with. Yes. There. Think about that. That's I can almost get why they would have lost the first game. I think Peterson might have had to turn around the worst culture in a building in the NFL. And by the way, it wasn't just in the locker room yeah. either. That organization was kind of a mess. And hopefully he has enough juice there that he can turn things around. And he's got the quarterback to do it. They've got a lot of work to do. But I'm with you. If you're in that division and you've drafted reasonably well, which they have over the last couple of years, yeah, they they have a chance to do some things. And that was an eye-opening win for me. I I could have seen them. I can see any team going into another building and eking out a win somehow. But 38 to 10, I mean, that was impressive. And flying all the way across country. I think you don't, people don't take into consideration, you know, flying across country, time zone change, and playing in a game that, Versus a team that, as I said earlier, should be one of the top teams in their division. Obviously, their quarterback is dealing with some injuries, and Keenan Allen was out. So they, it, it was almost a perfect time for, for the Jaguars to go out there and, and play that game. But nonetheless, to go to L.A., to play the Chargers, to come out of there with a win in the fashion that they did, I think it speaks a lot to who they are or who they're trying to be this season. And by the way, Mark Lamping's son still lives here in St. Louis, the former Cardinal president, now the president of the Jaguars, and I root for them because of him. There you go. That's four downs here on 101 ESPN. You were off by three days, right? Ah, oh, well, see, that close, were, right? <laughs> good. They played September 30th against the Bengals on that Thursday. Yeah. And the next night is obviously when he stayed in Ohio. Uh, his team flew out back to Jacksonville. And then, of course, he was at his own bar. Visited with Cayman, Nebraska. Yes. Was the young was lady's name. name. Three, four games into the season, and that's how you Game respond. Four. Into yep. his career. Into, into his your NFL career. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not it's good. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't think he'll be back. Nah, probably not. (laughs) Coming up, the Cardinals can win the division tonight. We're going to talk about that and more with our friend Stan McNeil of Cardinals Magazine next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Reminds us that 40 years ago today, the Cardinals won their first ever division title. Division play started in 1969. They won their first division in 1982, went on to win the World Series. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Stan McNeil of the Cardinal Magazine joins us. And lo and behold, the Cardinals can win another division title tonight. Stan, good morning. How are you doing? Hey, Randy. I'm great. Uh, yeah. Historic day. I was just... Uh, Preparing to talk a little bit about Albert, and one of the things we've done this season, we've tracked is how many home runs Albert has hit on each day between April 1st and September 30th. And uh, 
September 27th, he's only gotten hit, hit two. But one of them was 16 years ago in 2006 when uh, he came through. The, the, you know, you remember that pennant race? But yep. uh, Albert came through, hit a three-run bomb in the bottom of the eighth to turn a 3-1 deficit into a 4-3 win. You know, so uh, that was 16 years ago, he, and he's still doing it. Just kind of mind-boggling when you look at it that way. Stan, I'm sure you've gotten some some great stories uh, this season. What's your favorite storyline about this season? I mean, you've had Wayno and Yachty. You've had Albert Chase for 700. You've had Goldie. What is your favorite favorite storyline and, and, and best story that you've had this season? Well, that's a great question, but uh, I've, I'd have to go with Albert. You know, I mean, that's just kind of uh, – we really had no idea how this would go. It was such a cool thing that he was coming back for this last season, and it had the – potential to be you know i don't think anyone thought it had the potential to be this kind of magical really but uh, the way it's turned out and just to see the the joy he's had and i think we just i think he's really helped the game of baseball really when you just see i mean we're here in st louis focused on the cardinals but you saw how the reception he gets everywhere he goes from the fans and also from the opposing players so yeah i think uh albert coming back for uh, his last season Tops uh, is my top storyline for, like you say, a, a lot of great ones this season. And Stan, something that I hadn't thought of, and Mike Matheny actually brought it up with us yesterday, and uh, the Cardinals have been pretty good for the second half of the season, really good for the second half of the season, but they've had Albert, they've had Goldie, they've had Arenado, fun things to watch. But after the lockout, baseball did kind of need something to latch on- onto, and Judge and Albert really have kind of helped baseball ease the pain of the lockout. Yeah, I mean, they've whatever they've done, it's been good for the game. There's no doubt about that, you know. And, and to me, as much as that difficult as that lockout was, it's kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I don't even uh, think about it. Think about it anymore. Hey, Stan, you've had so much great material for the magazine this year, and obviously Adam Wainwright is the focal point of the Cardinal yearbook this year, and Waino has kind of struggled down the stretch, and you and I, we, every Cardinal fan has seen him deal with the, the dead arm. Do you have any concerns at all about where he is right now? Well, he's 41 years old, so you always have concerns. You know, whenever you're that at that age, and your performance starts to decline. Yeah, you. you I, at least I do. I get. I have concerns. But uh, you know, I, I watched his uh, post game presser the other day, and he's just uh, determined. You know, I mean, he's not. He's not going to give up. And if there's anyone you can bet on to kind of turn it around, it's Wayno. I mean, uh, to me, what he's going through now is nothing like what he went through. You know, a few years ago when because he feels good now. He says his arm is healthy. And if, if his arm is healthy, I think he will find a way to turn it around because this is a guy who 16, 17, 18, he was pitching. He, he told me, like, it, it was pain on every pitch. You know, he would have to take a deep breath, like, okay, one more pitch. I can do it. So he's past that. I think, uh, you know, he's definitely had some struggles here. But if, like I say, if anyone can kind of get this thing going again, it's Wayno. Hey, Stan, along with Wayno, uh, Goldie has been struggling at the plate a little bit. What are your concerns for him, and, and do you see him getting it right uh, coming up here shortly? You know, with, with Goldie, I, I almost think it was more of a situation where he was due for a spell like this. You know, maybe it's gone a little bit 
longer than he would have liked. But uh, I'm almost sort of thinking, like, you know, go ahead and get that out of the way now. You get hot now and just carry that right through October. So go ahead and get your slump out of the way. And with Goldie, it kind of feels a little bit like he's just such a good player. You know he's going to come out of it. Hey, Stan, with all of the great material that you've had this year, and actually it's going to be material that will sustain the Cardinal Magazine, I'm sure, for a while, a lot of people can't think of what to get the person that has everything for a gift during the holiday season. And I always thought that was a really good idea to get a subscription to the Cardinal Magazine. Absolutely. And uh, if you sign up at the right time, we usually have a bonus to go with it. You know, these cool Yachty, Wayno T-shirts we've had. We've had... uh, you know, our ticket giveaway. So you're, you're getting more than just the magazine and the magazine uh, is in itself a, a bargain. If you ask me, we uh, we're putting the finishing touches on the issue that will be in the ballpark this week. And uh, I just want to make a You know, we have a, a player column. This miles Michaelis has written it this year. And I think this, this player column is almost worth the price of buying the magazine uh, it, itself. But we ask, you know, we do this kind of every year, and we one of the columns we ask guys is like, okay, you're commissioner for a day. What changes would you make in the game? And if you know Miles, you know how uh, interesting <laughs> this guy is. So uh, if you have time, I could just kind of tease you with a couple of, a couple of suggestions that I, that I thought were uh, that were that were just you know they're they're kind of like interesting, but they're also like, yeah, that might work. But uh, you know, Miles in the flow, he's got the great hair. So Miles says. Why do we have to wear a hat? Why can't we wear a visor? You know, if I'm pitching with the visor on, I'm going to stay cool or you're going to get another inning out of me out there. So uh, Miles would, would change the change the rule where you don't have to wear a hat. And the other, yet another suggestion with head, head, headwear is that, you know, you see these guys with their helmets flying off when they run around the bases. He says, if, if that happens, that shouldn't happen. That's an injury concern. You're, it's a little bit too hot doggy for, you know, for, the, for some of us. So if your helmet flies off when you're going around the bases, you got to put a chin strap on it for the rest of the year. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. <laughs> and, and to give, uh, you know, Miles gave uh, Andrew Miller credit because uh, apparently they used to talk about that. And he says it used to bug the heck out of, uh, out of Andrew Miller. And then, the last one I'm going to tease for this, for this column is, and tell me what you think about this one, is Miles says to kind of uh, maybe reduce the uh, arguments with balls and strikes, why not just move home plate back one foot or move it back to the back of the batter's box? Don't move anything else. Keep the batter's box where they are. Catcher stays where he are. The pitcher stays where he, are, where he is. You know, and Miles' point is hitters are always – so far in the back of the box now that that would make them be able to see a low strike as a low strike better than when they're in the front or middle of the box and a pitch passes them at the, you know, at the above the knees, it might be below the knees when it gets to the catcher. So uh, that makes sense. Moving, moving the plate back a foot. It's just, I'd never even heard that. And I thought, man, that's uh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. It is an interesting idea. I wonder with a guy like Adam Wainwright, who relies on his curveball as much, though, if essentially having to throw it 61 feet 6 inches rather than 60 feet 6 inches would have an effect. Well, see, but Miles's point to that is the catcher's not moving. Wainwright's still throwing to the catcher at the same mm. spot. Just so move the plate. You really, the pitch, it really wouldn't affect. It might affect when the pitch kind of breaks over the plate, yeah. for sure. 
So, uh, but, uh, and Miles, he's got a good curveball and he's, he's willing to do it. So uh, I just thought that was kind of fascinating. That's an interesting idea. I'm glad that uh, those players are thinking <laughs> about the game. It's cool. Hey, finally, you've got a special 700 home run edition coming out. We have so much on Albert that it's going to be in the next two issues. So this issue that's coming out this week will focus more on the milestone home runs of last week, whereas the issue, our following issue will focus more on his, uh, be a, a bigger look at his career. All right. Stan, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Stan McNeil from the Cardinals Magazine. I'm, I'm just trying to visualize this, and it it does make sense. We'll ask Adam. Yeah, I'm sure that would be that, we should, Yes, they probably had some in depth conversations about how this would work. So yeah. we should ask, you should ask him, and we should we should talk about that. Yeah, we'll ask him tomorrow <laughs> on Wednesdays with Wayno. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. We have take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 65780 and give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Carrie Davis, Randy Carricker, and Matthew Rocchio. Great to have you with us, CD. As we know, the Bills, the Bills Mafia, one of the best fan bases in football, right? They travel yeah. well. They do wild Very things. good fans, too. They they donate money. They mm-hmm. donated money to Andy Dalton, when his charity, when they beat. I forget who they won against, so they put the Bills. And this, they, they put the right, yeah, put them in the playoffs. Yeah. So they're, they're very good, very good fan base. Yeah, really good fan base. Good people. So they took over Miami on Sunday, and they were tailgating and doing their thing, but, but, there's video of a giant dolphin's tailgate tent where the gentlemen are making it rain for the strippers uh-huh. that they hired at their tailgate. Man. Take it or leave it, that's a little bit better than jumping I, through a table. I, oh, I'm taking that. <laughs> <laughs> that, to me, sounds a little bit more interesting than watching two people dive on each other on a table and watching it break. That's just me. I, this, my preference, you do what you do, I do what I do. Uh, I would much yeah. rather be in Miami at that tailgate than, than watching people pour mustard and hot dog on, on mustard and ketchup on one <laughs> another and other, jumping yeah. on tables. That's just my preference <laughs> to each his own. Don't yeah. <laughs> so uh, evidently the success of the Dolphins has really upped the game in the t- in the tailgating There you go. Now nah, we're yeah. talking. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. You can find it in Miami. Get it with, get with, get with the times, you know? Uh, so we've been talking a lot about Albert and and Aaron Judge and, and their home run chases. And I, I wanted to ask you this. Take it or leave it. This chase has been as exciting as the Maguire and Sosa chase in the, in, in the in 98. 98. I'm going to leave that. And I think it was because we had the year-long lead-up to Maguire. From the time the 97 season finished all the way up until opening day and through that entire 98 season, we anticipated that Maguire was going to hit 62. And the thing with Albert was, I don't think most people thought that he would get to 700. No. So as cool as this was, the Maguire thing where all summer long people are taking pictures and there's flashbulbs and we kind of knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. And you had the Sosa factor too. I think 98 was a little cooler. I agree. 
It was fun. I knew it was. <laughs> yeah. All right. Text line 65780. Matthew Rocchio, what do you got? Take it or leave it. Aaron Judge will hit at least two home runs by or before Friday. Take it. I'll take it. I I think he's due. He what'd you say? Oh for six oh for his, his last, last six, six games. games. Yeah. yeah, he hasn't hit a home run in six. Yeah, he, he, he's due, and he's a he's a big strong man that hits a lot of home runs, so uh those those people generally hit home runs. So we'll, yeah. we'll take it. They have Toronto right now. They played Toronto last night and lost three to two. They get Toronto tonight and tomorrow at Toronto, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday they've got Baltimore. So yeah, he'll uh, by the way, they've got uh, Barrios pitching for Toronto tonight and White tomorrow. So uh, I, I would think, yeah, that he'll hit a couple by the end of Friday's games. I, I did see ESPN Stats and Info had this. That the six games is the longest anyone's gone, obviously not many people, since they hit number 60 before mm. they hit number 61. And it took all those guys hit it with, at least within three games. So he's it's pretty, pretty long, a lot of pressure, but he's also hitting like 380, like 420, I think, yeah. in like the last like two or three weeks. So I don't think it's getting to him necessarily. Right. Nah. Remember how Ken Griffey Sr. had to follow Ken Griffey Jr. all around the country when he was at 499? <laughs> Just in case, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, I if do remember he, that. And then Father's Day yes, here, yes, yep, he finally hit number yep. 500. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals should invite all of Yachty's backup catchers. He's had since 05 for a pregame ceremony before the season ends. I've counted 32 total. That'd be fun. That would be, I, I like would that. like that. I like that. I, I, you know what I liked a couple of days ago? Well, last week when, when they broke the record on Bally's, they had all of the former teammates uh, sending their well wishes to Yachty and, and Ueno and, and just... I think that means a lot to those guys. It's, it's, I think Wayno talked about it. Some guys he hadn't seen or heard from in years reaching out. And, and those things, when you have a long career and you have that many teammates, that many backups, I think that, that would be an awesome idea uh, for them to present Yachty with something. Hey, thanks for being so great that we never yeah. got to play. <laughs> but we love you. <laughs> we love you, yeah. No, I, yeah. You know, they, they can all you know put together a nice big sign that says, thank you for the health of our needs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Take it or leave it. You'd welcome Oberyn Meyer with open arms to coach Mizzou if you knew a championship would follow. Yeah, I'll take that. Ah, uh, that's you, uh, hey, hey, Randy. Championship. You, that you, you're selling your soul. It seems like it's just, just giving yeah. every, yeah, <laughs> pretty much for a championship. Yeah, <laughs> Illinois. Man. Let's 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 switch it. Illinois championship. Uh, I'm you gonna... know it's a, it's a guaranteed championship. Do I have to? That feels dirty, Randy. No, it does. It does. Oh, it's dirty. I'll, I'll put it this way: my soul, my soul would be black. But you know what? Black's a great backdrop for confetti. Oh my God! Black and gold. You're starting there. Listen, Urban Meyer, you you're willing to go down that road, knowing the path and the things that are going to be in that path CD. on the way to that championship. I there am... are going to be some things that you have to discuss on these areas. You're not going to be proud of. No. there's hey, you... there, there, there is a price for everything, oh. and it's a price I'm willing to pay. <laughs> we, just, we just keep away from the, the bars. We call it the Snyder Rule, and I think we'll be fine. You're not, How? 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 How are you going to keep him away from the bars? Don't worry about contract. that, man. Don't worry about You're it. You're winning. No, no, nobody sees it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, it doesn't <laughs> ma- it, you're winning. You're winning He's kicking kickers, Randy. I don't. He, you're winning <laughs> you a championship. Don't care. Tell, me, tell me how you really feel. You the, don't care. The, the, the kicker is collateral damage <laughs> for my pleasure. <laughs> 
came in Nebraska, make your way to Missouri. Oh, oh no. my goodness. Take, <laughs> take it or leave it. Jordan Walker is better compared as a prospect to J.D. Drew than Oscar Tavares. Well, the Cardinals compare him more to Oscar Tavares, so yeah. I'm going to go with with Oscar Tavares. Oscar Tavares. J.D. Drew played college ball. J.D. Drew was he he never picked up a bat till he was 14 years old. If there if ever there was a guy that was the natural, it was him. It was J.D. Drew, and Tavares and Walker all, both played as really young kids, and they they were on the ascent. Not only did J.D. Drew not pick up a bat till he was 14, so he played high school ball. But a lot of people still say now, and he was drafted in 98, so 18, uh, well, drafted originally in 97, came up in 98. So what, we're 15 years, no, 97, 20, 07, 17, 20, 25 20, years. 25. People still say that he's the best college baseball player they've ever seen. Really? Yeah. Well, take it or leave it, Freeze's World Series home run is more iconic than Pujols' 700th. Oh. Yeah, it is. It, because, uh, you know what, yes, because of what it meant. And I remember where I was. I actually didn't. I was in L.A. And I didn't see the game. And my father called me screaming, just yelling, are you watching this? Are you are you seeing this? And I'm like, what? what's going on? He just hit the home run. I'm like, oh, I got to go find the TV. Hold on. Because <laughs> I thought it was over. I was like, hey, man, okay. Yep. And he called me screaming. And I'm like, that's a memory that I, I will never forget. So, yes. I, was, I, ju- I jumped up and I jumped up when I was watching on Friday night uh, just for a moment. But when when when. Freeze hit that home run. I was in the third floor of an apartment building. I ran out of my apartment, across the hall into the other apartment, down both flights of stairs, and then around the room for like five <laughs> minutes. It's just, it's not comparable. We've got Buster only coming up at 9.15. But if you talk to Joe Buck, who did the World Series from 96 through last year, if you talk to Jason Stark, who's covered the World Series for three decades, they say that the World Series Game 6 of 2011 was the best that they've ever seen. Wow. Best World Series game that they've ever seen. And obviously, Freeze was the capper of that. So, And I agree with that. It's the best World Series game I've ever seen. So I, I'm going to be on board with that. Take it or leave it. Freeze and Pujols in the bar. Who who's get, who get the drink first? Freeze and Pujols? Pujols. In St. Louis? Yeah. Freeze. Freeze? Yep. Man, there has to pay for Because he's from here. He's from here. Yeah. Yeah. He's but, our guy. Yeah. Because of the home run, too. Yeah. Well, they, well yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I got two two good back-to-back take-it-or-leave-us here got to it. close out. Take-it-or-leave-it. The wild card rotation will be Flaherty, Montgomery, and then Wayno piggybacked with Quintana. I don't think they'll piggyback. And don't dismiss Miles Michaelis here either. I still think that if Adam Wainwright pitches well in his last start of the regular season, that he'll... Uh, unless it, it doesn't match up rest-wise, but I think it will. I still think that he'll be the game one guy. I would be inclined, if I were the Cardinals, to hold back on Quintana slash Montgomery till game three. I, I And maybe you go Flaherty, Michaelis, Quintana, and then you know if you have to, if it takes you three to beat San Diego or Philadelphia. Then you have one of those two available for the opener of the next series. For me, it's seeing how these last couple of starts play out, right? and and seeing how well, I mean, how well these these men do in their in their next performance. Because I, we talked about Wayno with the potential dead arm, and and if he goes out one more start and it's still not looking right, is that is that someone you feel comfortable, you know, putting out there in the first game or, or second game of a of a must win series? Um, so, and the same thing with Mike Lisson and, and Flaherty, and and the only one I think in the last 
two weeks that you can say that you can hang your hat on would be Quintana yeah. at this moment because he's the one that has gone out and just pitched extremely well his last couple of starts. So I, I think it, it – I mean, these last nine games, I think it is, eight, is it eight, eight games? Eight games, yep. Last eight games, seeing who – how well they're pitching and how well they're performing so you know what the rotation is going into the playoffs. Big one from Michaelis tonight. And last one from the 618. Take it or leave it. I don't care what anybody says. Adam Wainwright will start in the wild card round. It's Adam bleeping Wainwright. Ordinarily, I would say you say yes, but I think a lot of it's going to have to come down to Adam. If, if he tells them, look, I'm still going through this dead arm period, right. I don't think you can responsibly start him. Do you... Do you so... Well, yeah, and, yeah. And by the way, he, Adam is going to say, "I'll tell you this." Adam is going to tell them, "I'm good the to truth. go." Yeah. Yes. 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 We always do. Yeah. We're always good to go right. until we're not. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it is what it is. Yeah. And you so, know. from the Cardinals' perspective, Ali Marmol's perspective, yeah, that's probably correct. That's so one of the the it. gifts and curses of of being a professional athlete. You never feel like you can't do something, uh-huh. and then you realize you can't do something, and then it's sometimes it's a little too late. Gary, 2012, the Cardinals are going to San Francisco for Game Six against the Giants. And I am absolutely convinced that Chris Carpenter has barely pitched that year. But he's pitching game six, and it mm. is Chris Carpenter. Yeah. So he's going to win. Yeah. And he got lit up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but just yeah, the mindset. Right. As a fan, I'm the same way. Yeah. It's, it, but I felt that way with Ben Roethlisberger last year. Every well, time. Th- there's one more time. Every time. He's got, yeah. he got to have one more. Yeah. It's always one more until, right. he, <laughs> until, yeah, until he realizes there there's yeah. nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. And your text, we do appreciate it. You're welcome, Randy. Coming up next, what did we learn from the Cardinals on the West Coast, and how worried does this offense have you feeling? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnooks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnooks. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. I think there's a few things you got to get ready to go with this team, and one is Goldie. You know, trying to get him back to some semblance of what he was. Uh, Wayno, get him straightened out, and uh, and then basically kind of see where Quintana and Montgomery are uh, moving forward. And if you can do that, then you're going to be just fine. I mean, this team, and I'm really looking forward, by the way, to the next Jack Flaherty start. I think that's an important one too, with the way that he pitched last game. But those are some of the question marks going forward. But you know, the Cardinals could be. Uh, could be uh, pouring champagne tomorrow night in Milwaukee. And, and then a lot of those things kind of settle in after that. Guys relax and you've got the division wrapped up and then you look forward to postseason play. That is Danny Mack yesterday with us on the opening drive with Kerry Davis and Randy Carricker. It's 8.09. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. And it's interesting, CD, that we get to this point in the season. Here we are on September 27th. And I think what Dan said is really salient for as long as we've talked about pitching with this team mm-hmm. and we thought the offense was just going to roll through the regular season in the playoffs it hasn't and for me the big thing the cardinals need to concern themselves with and what we learned on the west coast is if you don't have your big boys hitting in the middle of the lineup specifically paul goldschmidt you aren't going to score many runs they had the stretch where they got shut out three times in a row 
And then after that, they win 5-4, they win 11-0, and then they only scored three runs in the last two games against the Dodgers. So for me, the big thing is getting Paul Goldschmidt straightened up. Yeah, he's the catalyst for this entire team. And I think one thing I know as a professional athlete, a former professional athlete, you got your guys that are role players, and then you got, as, as Charles Barkley would say, the guys that drive the bus. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're the bus driver, as, as Goldschmidt is for this team, you have to be the guy that that makes those plays, that makes those hits, uh, that gets those runs across and, and gets on base because that's what allows everyone else to be successful in their role. Your role is to be that guy. And, and you know, it's whether you're the big-time receiver, you know, the shooting guard that, that takes the last shot in basketball, the goal scorer in hockey, or you're the number three hole, four hole hitter, you are the guy that has to come up and make that, make that play for everyone else around you to ease the pressure off of them because – if you're not doing your job or playing at a high level, everyone else has to feel like, oh, I gotta now I gotta do something that is out outside of my role. And successful teams, their best players are their best players, and their role players are their role players. And they make timely hits when it's necessary, steal bases, make big plays in the field. But your guys, as in Goldschmidt, has to come up to the plate, get a couple of hits hit a couple of balls hard to make himself feel more comfortable and get back into that mode of of being the NL MVP candidate that he is. Now, another part of this for the Cardinals is we went through most of the season thinking, okay, Adam Wainwright will start game one of a playoff series. The Dodgers are going to have difficulty choosing who to start in game one of a playoff series because Urias has won 17 games. Gonsolin is going to be back. He's won 16. Kershaw is pitching great. He's won 10. Tyler Anderson's won 15. Cardinals are on the other end of the spectrum now. They're having trouble figuring yeah. out who's going to start game one because Montgomery and Wainwright aren't pitching like yeah. they did. And you don't know about Flaherty, and Quintana's been great for the last month. And that's why I said these last few, these last eight games, and I think each one is going to get a couple of starts. Wayno, he has one more start. But they have to, this is the time where I think these last three, two to three weeks have been a, a, a really an audition for the starting pitching role for who's going to who's going to be the number one, two, and three starters come playoff time. And as you said, the Dodgers probably have an issue because they have so many options to choose from. The Cardinals, you're trying to figure out which one of those guys you trust the most to go out there and get the job done. And, and, and as the texter said, I think at the end of the day, it's always potentially going to be Wayno because he's done it the longest. He's the guy you trust the most in those situations, in those moments, regardless of of of, of if if his arm is not feeling mm-hmm. well, he's going to go out there and take the ball regardless because that's just the mindset of, a, of an ace. You hope that it is better. You hope that his next start is much better and you start to see the command and the, and the curveball doing what it normally right. does, breaking and falling off the table how it normally does. Um, and then you'll feel a little bit more comfortable going into that, that first playoff game. Um, but just knowing, not knowing which one of those three is going to be the guy, it's going to be important to watch these last few games. And for us as fans, I, I would think that most people right now, if you were going to pick a guy to pitch that game that you have to win game one, I think most Cardinal fans would probably go with Quintana right now. Maybe, but but then you talked about it a few weeks ago that that there was not very high expectations for Quintana no, when he got no. here. And these last few starts, you're like, wow, this guy can really he can pitch. Okay, he's yeah. doing a really good job. I don't know if I throw him out there in that moment, you know, uh, uh, for a game one type of start in the playoffs. I think I still lean towards Wayno, and and you know if it's not going well, maybe you have a short leash, and maybe Quintana is if he's not your your number two or three starter. Maybe he's the guy that comes in in that role uh, to to finish up the deal. But 
I still think I start Wayno just because of the, the the history and the legacy of what he's done and I just have, as you said earlier, the mindset of a, of a of an ace of a future Hall of Famer is I'm going to get it done, even if this thing falls off yeah. in the process. It might fall off while I'm pitching, but then I'm going to give you everything I got while I can. And we should note that the Cardinals' thought process is always that Jack Flaherty, if he's right, is going to be the guy. Yeah. And tomorrow night is huge for yep. Jack Flaherty. That's Kerry. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues with a 4 nothing win over Dallas last night in preseason Game 2. We're going to start our visits into the Blues booth this week, and Darren Pang, Blues analyst on Bally Sports, joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Blues booth. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors has great floors for every home with locations in West County, South County, St. Charles County, and our new location in Mid-County. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Gary Davis, Randy Carricker. It was great to see Darren Pang here in the station's hallways yesterday. And the analyst on Ballet Sports joins us now and will every Tuesday during the hockey season here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Panger. How you doing? Good morning, fellas. And, uh, Kerry, good to meet you as well for the first time. And, uh, and uh, the, the digs over there at the ESPN studios are very, very nice. They've got you guys well taken care of, it looks like. It's a pleasure meeting you as well. I look forward to, to every Tuesday getting to talk to you about some hockey. Well, that sounds good with me. I mean, two bald guys talking hockey. We Indeed. should have a good fun time this oh, year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Panger, uh, this is a different training camp than obviously the one the Blues had after they won the Stanley Cup or even after the COVID year. This is this is unusual in that there's real competition for some spots on the third and fourth lines. And I guess this is good for any team, right? Having competition and having guys really have to work in camp for a spot on the roster. Well, I think this is as good a camp as I've seen in a long time, and you're right about that too, Randy. I mean, let, let's face it for the for the you know past how many years now has it been for me? Um, I've been here for this is my 14th season working with John Kelly and, and and the Valley Sports Group and and being a part of the team. And there hasn't been that many years where you go, okay, well, there's a slot here, there's a slot there. Even when a great player like David Perron goes, well, you know that Jordan Cairo is stepping up into that spot. Um, you know, we even as I came to camp, I. I just forgot how how impactful uh, Toropchenko was last year, and you know you go well that slot's going to be taken. He's right there. Then then last night again, Logan Brown comes up with a an enormous game last night, and uh, and he's making a real run at this, which is great to see. He's a great kid. He's worked hard this summer, put in the time, and now he's you know now he's really showing them what he's got. So yeah, there's not that much, but you know um, I, I I still think with a team coached by Craig Berube. Um, it's it's important to have reliable fourth line experienced guys, um, and, and we've seen that with a lot of experienced coaches what they like. And so bringing in Noel Achari, Josh Levo had a had a good game last night as well. He's a good skater; he can get in on the forecheck. I think these are important uh, players for for a coach like Craig Berube. Hey, Panker, when you talk about Logan Brown, a guy, he has three goals in the first two preseason games, and and obviously it's only the preseason, but he only had four all of last season. Is that a concerted effort by him to get the puck in the net, and how well does that help this Blues offense if he's able to score the, score, score goals? Oh, Kerry, it'd be a huge bonus. I mean, you know, anytime you can you can chip in, because you're, you're leaving 30 goals just left the stable. 
you know, with David Perron. Um, the best power play in the National Hockey League, or one of the best power plays in the NHL, was basically run by David Perron. And, and so to have a guy like Logan come in here like this, Kerry, and, and show, what, you know, show what he's got. I mean, I thought last year, you know, and, and you'll, you'll like this guy, Kerry, he's, he's six foot six, you know, and, and, and sometimes we think that the guys, because I've noticed that you're not that tall, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you're a powerful player, but it's like the taller you are, the more people think you have to, you know, that you have to, uh, you have to be aggressive. You've, you've got to, you know, you seem to have to do more mm. to impress people. But sometimes the bigger guys, they're doing the same thing as the little guys are doing. It just doesn't look that way. And, and that's, you know, Logan's got the hands of a smaller man. He's got the mind of, a, of, a, of an outstanding playmaker. It just hasn't come together yet. So, I mean, if he could continue this on. And uh, you, you know, and provide some of this offense from a let's even call it a, a second power play unit or a third line position, whether he's a winger or a centerman. Um, then, boy, not only is it a bonus for the Blues, but it gets him off and running too, and shows the hockey world that that you know he's the first rounder that Ottawa you know took him at a number of years ago. Panger, one of those guys, one of those big guys that everybody expects to be aggressive is Colton Pareko, right? And yep. last year, I wonder if people recognize, he was plus 32 after the All-Star break, and I thought he was a much better player paired with Nick Letty. Sometimes does it take a, a pairing, a partner, to turn a guy into a number one type defenseman? Yeah, it is interesting. Well, you know, in the playoff run, I thought it took Larry Robinson and uh, Kerry, if you don't don't know, Larry Robinson was an advisor, special advisor to Doug Armstrong, and he's won ten Stanley Cups. And he was a big, big, tall, six foot four, four and a half defenseman that played for the Montreal Canadiens. And you know, he sort of somehow was the Colton whisperer. Like he could <laughs> he could get you know he could get whatever he needed out of Colton Pareko. And uh, you know, and and sometimes since that time, it's been a little inconsistent for him. And you're right. Uh, you know what, Randy? You find the right partner, the guy that stays at home, the guy that's got a calm demeanor. And, and he's another good example, Colton, is of a, a big, strong guy that you think every single night he should grab somebody or run them through the boards. It's, it's not his demeanor. When he does it, it's special. But he's, he's in for the long haul. And there he is last night. What did he play? 22 minutes in a preseason game again. So uh, he is a, he's a thoroughbred. But I, I do agree that he plays better with a veteran defenseman beside him um, that is more a stability guy. Uh, and and that's how that's how things work a Jay Bowmeister style mm-hmm. if, if we might yeah yeah having someone talk to those guys that are are you know still learning and and growing in the in the sport is always good and I'm sure Colton has had some some tough times as as always being compared to Pronger and and trying to not live up to that expectation but live up to the best version of himself how has he been doing in that role and and not worrying about what everybody expects him to be but just being who he is and helping this team uh, defensively. Yeah, I bet those are challenges for him, Kerry. I, I, I do. I bet, you know, every day because he's such a good – you love this guy. He's a good, kind soul. Like, you know, you, you, you just – you want to be around the guy. He's as, he's as nice as the, the day is 24 hours. And then so, yeah, I, I think there's probably some challenges for him when, when the games get tough or when there's a little bit of a, you know, a game that leaves him by that he wasn't maybe aggressive enough in. That he that he probably reflects on it and, and and knows that he's got to be a little bit more, but you know it's uh it's it's probably just a real challenge for him every day to be that kind of player all the time, and and as we know it's a long season, man. You put on those skates, you know you got morning skates, then you got games. You're playing a lot. You're playing 25 minutes a night, and sometimes you just don't have that part of your game. But 
But, man, when he has that part of the game, Kerry, you're going to enjoy watching that because it is he dials it in, and it's like he's a dominant force out there. Banger, I don't know if you saw Jeremy Rutherford's piece with Jordan Binnington last week. It was terrific. And Binner talked about how he was successful because he played with anger and he had these goals and he wanted to make the NHL because people thought he couldn't and then he wanted to win a cup because people thought he couldn't and then he, he gets the contract and he's number one. And he, finally, he, he just the, the chip on the shoulder was gone and he, he said, I have to start playing with love and find another way to refocus. As a goalie, I never thought of it that way, but how do you focus yourself to, to be that guy, what, 50 times a year? Yeah, well, that's how all the greats have done it. You know, I even when I was playing in my my brief career, I, I marveled at the great ones. I, I marveled at how they put on their mask and did up their pads, and every single night they they had to find an edge. They had to. I don't know what it was that they that you have to prove all the time. And and I, I should know, being a small the second smallest goalie to ever play, it was it was always a challenge to try to prove people wrong. But but he he you know he Jordan Binnington has always used that. I always said that he's got now about 15 layers of, of tough skin. I mean, <laughs> from, from the moment that he, he got sent down in his first training camp. I remember his first training camp. I remember what he looked like on the ice. And I remember talking to him and listening to a young man that was still confident. And I remember when he got recalled um, when we had an injury. And I think Brian Elliott got injured. And he got recalled from the minor leagues. He got given number 30. And he was excited. And, and he was pumped up. And he thought he was ready to play. And and then we brought Marty Brodeur out of retirement, and that number 30 went right to Marty Brodeur, and Bennington got number 50 and was sent down to the minors again. You know, And then it was Marty Brodeur in an executive position that was the one that was responsible for sending goalies down and sent him down again three more times. So, I mean, you, you could see where the angst would come from, and, and, and I think eventually, I mean, you're kind of going to run a, a little bit out of that kind of energy, that John McEnroe turn a negative into a positive energy, and... and um, I always marveled with John McEnroe, the way he could do that and, and, and stay at such a high level because he used his emotions that way. And it's hard to do, but I, I do agree that Jordan probably ran out of gas a little bit, and uh, now he's got to get that back and get to exactly what he was doing last year in the Minnesota series when he took over for Huso, and then, of course, before he got injured in the Colorado series because he was absolutely outstanding in that series. That was Jordan Bennington right there. Panger, who is the smallest goalie in NHL history? Well, this fellow back in the 1915, uh, 1915 or 20 season named Roy Shrimp Warders. Mm. Shrimp. <laughs> Shrimp Warders was about 5'3 and a half, 135 pounds. He won a Hart Trophy as the MVP for the Boston mm. Bruins. He was a little, I would say he was a little wee fella. <laughs> I would say I could eat an apple off his head. <laughs> we learn something from Darren Pang all the time. Hey, it's great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. And I, we mentioned Bruce yesterday. Bruce had a good summer? Yeah, Bruce, I just took him for a walk. And uh, yeah, Bruce is great. My little Cavapoo, he's, uh, he's coming over here. He's chomping on a little bit of food. And he's ready for the hockey season. He wants to be a big part of this radio show, okay? Uh, we're, we're ready for him. <laughs> we are absolutely ready for Bruce. Panger, great to hear from you. Great to see you yesterday. And we'll talk soon. Sounds good, guys. Thank you. That is Darren Pang, Blues analyst on Valley Sports. And by the way, the Blues are going to have games on their website starting on Thursday. The game against the Blue Jackets are going to be, uh, the video is going to be shown. They'll simulcast with Curbs and Joey. So you'll be able to see those games, uh, those home games for the Blues on 
STLBlues.com. Tonight, by the way, the Blues play the Blackhawks at Enterprise Center, 6.30 with the pregame, and you'll hear all the action right here on 101 ESPN. The fight is next here on The Opening Drive with Kerry and Randy. You're back to The Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, average Joe and in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Good morning and welcome back to the opening drive and it is time for the fight. And our friend Rockio has some great questions today and I think we may hopefully stump our great guy Randy Carricker here. What do you think, Rock? Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, I think I think we're gonna stump him. You, you I think might he's have gonna, a few. Yeah, I think he's gonna be mad though about a couple of them. Oh, he probably will. <laughs> number, I mean, number two, he's not gonna like. Oh, okay. Well, here we go. John, John is our guest. John, how are you doing this morning? Doing all right. How are you, Kay? I'm doing wonderful. How are you feeling? I, I Rock has some some questions here that may potentially uh, give Randy a little bit of trouble and may potentially give you uh, a chance to, to to take down Randy today. What do you? How are you feeling? Hey, hey, that's what we're looking for. So do work by Rocky if that's the case. There we go. <laughs> All right, John, you ready? Let's go for it. All right. The current the current Cardinals roster holds nine of the 11 NL Platinum Glove awards ever handed out. Anthony Rizzo won one in 2016. Who is the other winner? Buster Posey, Andrelton Simmons, or Freddie Freeman? Andrelton Simmons. Last night, Cooper Rush became the second-ever undrafted quarterback to start his Cowboys career 3-0. Who was the first? Was that Jason Garrett, Tony Romo, or Bruce Gradkowski? Can you say that one again? Last night, Cooper Rush became the second-ever undrafted quarterback to start his Cowboy career 3-0. Who was the first? Jason Garrett, Tony Romo, or Bruce Gradkowski? So... Romo went to Eastern Illinois. I can't remember if he was undrafted. Uh, we'll go Tony Romo. All right, John. Happy birthday to Michael Jordan's favorite sparring partner, Steve Kerr. Against which NBA Finals opponent did Kerr beat with a game winner in Game 6? Was it the Phoenix Suns, Seattle Supersonics, or the Utah Jazz? Uh, Utah Jazz. All right, and Aaron Judge is on pace to become the sixth AL player to win a batting triple round since 1942. Only two of those players won the World Series the same year they won the Triple Crown. Mickey Mantle did it in 56 with the Yankees. Who's the only one to do it since? Is that Miguel Cabrera, Carl Yastrzemski, or Frank Robinson? Uh, Frank Robinson. All right, we'll double-check our scores. All right, listen here. John texted in, I want to fight Randy. He's going down. That's what John texted in. So John was obviously feeling confident before this showdown. And early on in the week, John's already locked in on a Tuesday. I won't say what he did, but... This is gonna be this is gonna be a good fight, and, and now Randy's walking in. He's got his propel. He's locked in as well. This is gonna be one for the ages, Kerry Davis. I, I think so. And John, I, I hope you're feeling well. Uh, Randy Carricker has just stepped in, as Rock said, with his propel, and he's ready to he's ready to roll, huh? Ready. You ready? Yes, sir. Say, say hello to John, Randy. John, good morning. How you doing? Hey, Randy, doing well. 
Good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We uh, really enjoy having you on the air with us. All right, Randy, you ready? ready. Hope I enjoyed as much. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Randy, the current Cardinals roster holds nine of the 11 NL Platinum Glove Awards ever handed out. Anthony Rizzo won one in 2016. Who is the other winner? Anthony Rizzo won one of them. Um, so we've had 11. I think I know... But I'm going to do the lifeline just in case. And if I hear his name, I will say that's it. Buster Posey? No. Andrelton Simmons? That's it. Freddie Freeman? Yeah, it's Andrelton Simmons. Last night, Cooper Rush became the second ever undrafted quarterback to start his Cowboys career 3-0. and Who was the first? Undrafted Cowboy quarterback to start 3-0. and Um. Hmm. Chad Hutchinson probably didn't start 3-0. and uh, Roger Staubach was drafted, I believe, like in the 12th round or something. Back in the day, Troy Aikman obviously was drafted. Danny White, I don't know if he was or not. Um, so I will... Uh, hmm... They, they had, like, so many... Uh, during the 80s, they had so many... You know, well, no, Don, Dandy Don Meredith would not have been the guy. I think Morton was drafted. Okay, so let's just work our way through here. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that Danny White was drafted or not, but he, it just makes sense because they were so good at that time. And I don't know if he was drafted or not, but I'm going to say that he probably had the, as good a chance as anybody. So I'll go Danny White. All right, Randy, happy birthday to Michael Jordan's favorite sparring partner, Steve Kerr. Against which NBA Finals opponent did Kerr beat with a game winner in Game 6? Game 6 would have been... I always get these... I get the Paxson and Kerr ones confused. Uh, Give me the question one more time. Uh, Against which NBA Finals opponent did Steve Kerr beat with a game winner in Game 6? Okay. Um... So it wasn't the Lakers. So we're talking either Portland or Seattle um, or Phoenix. Um, so Paxson. Okay, I- I'm going to go with uh, the Phoenix Suns. All right, and Aaron Judge is on pace to become the sixth AL player to win a batting triple crown since 1942. Only two of those players won the World Series the same year they won the triple crown. Mantle did it in 56 with the Yankees. Who's the only one to do it since? 56 with the Yankees. Mantle won the World Series. And the triple crown. Who's the only other player and to win triple a crown. triple crown and a World Series in the same year since 1956? Well, it wasn't Miggy and it wasn't Cabrera. And those were the two that uh, came to mind. So let's see. Uh, you have to go way back. Um, did the Orioles? Uh, I'll go Frank Robinson. Ooh, that was that was one intense fight. Randy, go, <laughs> Randy going through Cowboys starting quarterbacks and. Chicago Bulls finals appearances one by one. 
Was he able to get the win? Or did Joe, who called his shot, said he was going to beat Randy when he texted in on the text line? Did Joe successfully call his shot? What's going to happen here? It was a tough one here on a Tuesday. Are we early in the week? Do we have a win for average Joe? Let's see. The winner and new champion of the fight, average Joe listener. There it is. We haven't got to play that a lot over the last two months or so. I think that's only Randy's, I believe, only your fourth loss in the last uh, 30 or 40 fights or so, Randy. Wow. So congratulations to John. <laughs> you got job. back. You got past the absolute wall that is Megamind and Randy Carricker over the uh, late summer here. Congratulations. You beat Randy 3-2 to two in the fight today. Oh, that is great. That's exciting. Appreciate it. <laughs> Amen. And good job calling your shot. Let's get some of these answers out again. John with a 3-2 win. Go ahead and go through it, Mr. Kerry Davis. All right. The current Cardinals roster holds nine of the 11 NL Platinum Glove Awards ever handed out. Anthony Rizzo won one. The other winner was Anderson Simmons. Last night, Cooper Rush became the second ever undrafted quarterback to start his Cowboy career 3-0. Who was the first? It was actually Jason Garrett. Huh. How about that? Uh, Steve Kerr. Um, against which NBA Finals opponent did Steve Kerr beat with a game winner? The Utah Jazz in 1997. Mm. And you both got the last one correct. Um, the uh, Aaron Judge on pace to become the sixth AL player to win the batting triple crown. Saying who was the only two players to win the World Series and win the triple crown in the same year? Frank Robinson did it when the Orioles beat the Dodgers. So John wins the fight. He'll be back with us tomorrow. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Mike Claiborne with the Cardinals in Milwaukee. We'll talk to Claibs next here on The Opening Drive. You're back to The Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Gary Davis, Randy Carricker. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joining us from Milwaukee is Mike Claiborne. He, of course, will be in the Cardinal broadcast tonight, and I hope Mike has packed a raincoat and some goggles if the Cardinals wind up winning the division. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, and you're, you are right. I have my uh, wet weather gear ready to go. Yeah, you're a veteran of this, so you got to be ready. Have you ever gotten champagne in the eyes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? It, while it burns... The reason why it's getting poured on you is the reason why you're here. Uh, you, you can roll with it for the burn for a little bit because you know something good is just taking place. So I, I'm ready for it. But I am I am now elevated to the goggle thing. Uh, <laughs> you know it, it, that that whole burn thing. It's cool, but I'm a goggle guy now. Yeah, I'm with you. You you put the goggles on. I, I thought you most people. I would want to feel the burn because, as you said, when you are feeling that burn, you know something great just took place. And winning the division in in your divisional opponent's home on your divisional opponent's home field, there has to be nothing greater than that. What do the Cardinals need to do to make sure that they can a get that done, but also get these bats rolling uh, as we head towards the, as we gear up towards the playoffs? Well, you know that's a good question, Kerry, because. A, the first thing that's important is winning tonight, okay, or getting a win before you leave Milwaukee. But the, the second thing is there, there are a lot of questions to be asked and answered about this team. I mean, who's going to pitch? Who's going to be your first three pitchers? Who's going to play in the outfield? You know, what, what's your bullpen going to look like? I mean, there are so many questions that you have to try and answer in the next eight games that uh, it's going to be very interesting and challenging and you know, as I was saying, I've been doing this for a while now where the champagne thing, you know, you always appreciate it, but 
man, I don't need to burn it. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, you have to bring a separate bag to put your clothes in. It's like going out and smoking cigars all night. You know, you leave the clothing in the garage or somewhere else because you don't want to bring it in the house, man, because it lights up the house when you don't want to smell it. Hey, Clay, you talked about the uh, the starting pitching, and, and we were discussing it earlier. Uh, Wayno has been struggling. There's a little bit of dead arm. Regardless of, of how his next outing goes, do you think he takes the ball in game one and, and the Cardinals roll with him because he is Adam Wainwright? No, I, I think we're beyond that. And, and the reason why I say that is if this was five years ago, eight years ago, three years ago, I'd probably say yes. But, you know, Father Time catches up to everybody and taps you on the shoulder in a different manner. Some guys feel it in the off season. Some guys feel it in the middle of the season. But maybe this is the time. And, and I've said this before about Adam, and, and he's come back to prove me wrong. But I just think that at this point, you know, we're seeing the same production the last few outings. And, you know, while we think maybe it's mechanical, it's a dead arm, it's this and that, hey, it may be just the fact that it's time. And that's something we all have to take a deep breath and perhaps accept. Now, obviously, he's going to get one more start before this is over. You'll have a couple of bullpens to kind of figure out if this is the if this is it, this is it. But you know, I don't know if he's going to be one of my first three because let's face it: if you face Philadelphia, who has Schwarber and uh, Bryce Harper, I think I'm going to throw a couple of lefties at him and then come back with Miles Michaelis uh, if, if I'm in that situation. And again, because of the each team and their matchup situation, that that starting rotation may look completely different from Philadelphia to San Diego, from San Diego to the Mets or whomever you're going to face or Atlanta. You know, the rotation is going to have a different look. If the playoffs started today, it would be the Phillies. It would be here in St. Louis for two out of three. Would you rather play the Phillies or the Padres? Man, I don't know. You know, that Padre bunch, when we left them, I kind of said to myself, you know, when, they, when they're right, they're really good. They're loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you know... I know they missed uh, missed Tatis Jr., but they they put a pretty good eight out there every day, uh, and they're pitching when it's right. I mean, you know, nobody ever saw Blake Snell hit ninety seven. So, question is, did we juice up the gun, or is Blake Snell putting a little bit more grunt to it? I don't know, but um, they're a really good team. I, I don't know. Maybe Philadelphia. I'd rather have because I don't know because they don't have Mike Schultz sitting in the dugout knowing this team as well as he does. Good point. Hey, hey Clay, uh, the offense has, has been sputtering a little bit. Uh, got it going a couple of games in L.A., but for the most part, the last seven or eight games been struggling. Is it just sim- as simple as Goldsmith getting going again for this offense to get going, or is it is it more yeah. uh, intricate than that? No, I, I think you, you hit it. Uh, good hitting is contagious, and once he starts to swing the bat, then I think we'll be in good shape. But let me say this also. We're facing better pitching this week than we did against Cincinnati and and. Pittsburgh and some of these other also rans that we face over the last month or so. So I'm not really surprised that good pitching, you know, when it finds you, it, it stays for a while. So they're going to have to make some adjustments. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this team responds after a day off. We're not a good team after a day off on the road. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But at this point in the year, you know, aside from Pittsburgh, we're going to see good pitching every day as long as we play in, in, in baseball in, in this season. We're going to see good pitching. So you better figure out how to manufacture runs. You better figure out how to hit guys. Uh, and this is going to be a challenge. And there are going to be some teams that will not be able to respond to that challenge. I just hope the Cardinals aren't one of them. 
claims you've been around a lot of college football over the years, and I got to ask you, if you were a college football coach and got yourself a five-star wide receiver, would he touch the ball? Listen, he'd touch it in practice, at dinner, at breakfast, everywhere he goes. And, and, and But here, here's the thing, and we were having this conversation last night. We have heard so much about this young man, and he's been a very good player in high school. And you, you sold out to make sure he was your guy. This isn't about the offensive coordinator being on the wrong page with the head coach. He is the offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. So there's no there's no buffer here. This is your thing. And, you know, at last check, I didn't see Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes in the secondary of any of these college programs. Deion Sanders isn't playing cornerback at Kansas State, all right? So my, my point being, throw it. If they intercept it, so be it. If they get a pit, uh, pass interference, so be it. If he catches it and makes that guy miss, guess what? We're lined up for an extra point. So there's no excuses at this point. Next week, and I know we're playing Georgia. If you don't get that ball in his hands or attempt, then we got bigger problems because that kid's out of here. Okay, and your program is done. That that's how critical it is this week. And, and unfortunately, it's Georgia. I don't know. I can't remember the last time you were a four touchdown underdog at home. Hmm. Okay, so the, the 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 fate of the program rides on this week. Because you have to make a better effort to get him the ball. And whether, as I said, if it's an interception, I don't care. At least you throw it in his direction and see what he can do with it. Clays, I think you hit the nail on the head with that because and that's what I was saying yesterday in terms of you got a five-star recruit. It, it, if you're not able to get him the ball, what it says to the rest of the recruits around this, this city and this state, there's no need for us to go to Mizzou if, we can't get, if he's not getting the ball, if he's not getting opportunities to be successful. It really limits your opportunity to get the rest of those guys that are in state to, come, to stay in Columbia and not go elsewhere. Kerry, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we haven't seen a situation like this since I was in high school, and uh, most uh, black athletes in the city elected not to go there. I remember it was 1974, 75, we all had a meeting because we used to work out over at the old Northwest High School, all the guys from around the area. And we had a meeting and talked about what was going on in Columbia. And we decided most of us weren't going to go. There were a few guys that went, and they had our blessing. But – if you recall, and I don't know if you remember, you, you may be a little too young. Randy remembers how how many athletes from St. Louis, from the city, didn't go to Missouri over a period of time. And we had some of the best athletes in town mm-hmm. that were like, no, nah, we're going to go somewhere else because they weren't being treated fairly. This is different with regard. This is not a, a race issue. This is a performance issue. And if, and if this young man decides to walk after the first year, I can promise you, this will be the most challenging time Missouri football has had since then. And with the way recruiting works today, you know, you talk about getting out of line uh, and starting over again. I I just, man, I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned. And I like Eli. I think he's a good coach. I mean, I've been around him. I've talked to him. We talk football. But he has to figure out a way to make this happen. And as I said, if the kid – Whoever the quarterback is, and I don't know who it's going to be this week, those five interceptions and five of them were directed at Luther Burden, okay, well, he tried. He just wasn't good enough. But if he's throwing five interceptions on the other side of the field, Luther Burden's not involved, pack it up, shut it down. This program is done. And I hate to say that, but I think we're at a critical stage 
where all eyes are on Columbia, Missouri now. And, Klaibs, one other quick note. A couple of years ago, Mizzou went into Florida and lost 41-17. Kadarius Toney, who wound up being a first-round pick of the Giants, had an 18-yard touchdown catch, a 30-yard touchdown catch, and a 16-yard touchdown run. In that game, he had three rushes for 23 yards and four catches for 60. It's not like you just can't hand the ball off to this guy or let him run out of out of Wildcat. You can get the ball into the hands of him without throwing it to him. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, you know, if you're a creative offensive coach, and, and Kerry, you, you've been around this game a long time, as is Randy, there are ways you can do it. Now, you know what? I'm not saying you run the wildcat every other play. I mean, that's kind of like a homecoming play, all right? That's something to that just kind of trick people for the first quarter or the beginning of the third quarter. You, you probably don't want to have too many of those plays in your playbook. But the bottom line is you have to be creative. You, you have to find a way. And if you don't, then everybody's looking at you like, what are you doing? You know, and, and so even in this situation, and, and we've seen coaches say, all right, listen, don't worry about reading the whole playbook. You read the menu. It's going to be one page. We're going to have four or five plays for you, okay? These are the only plays I want you to focus on. And we'll use these four plays somewhere, someplace, sometime. By the, by the time the other team figures it out, we'll be moving on to the next week. But you have to designate plays for this young man because this is your future. This is the future of the program. And if you don't, then I don't, I'm telling you, you, you uh, all of a sudden, Linden was the number one Division One program in the state. There you go. <laughs> hey, Claims, you've got Wayno on with the Joe West 5460 podcast this week. Yeah, that was fun uh, talking to Wayno. We talked baseball, but, you know, he and Joe had so much in common off the field when it came to music. And, and playing and, and country western and people that Joe knew, it was, it was fun to listen to those two guys talk. And uh, needless to say, Wayno has multiple options once he decides to stop pitching. Uh, he's got multiple options. I think that'll be one of them. Uh, he mentions a few things about what his future entails uh, this off season. So I would suggest everybody take a listen, uh, and I guarantee you'll have some fun listening to another side of Adam Wainwright. And later this week, uh, it'll be Huddle Up with Howard. Kerry, we have to get you on that, man, on our, on our podcast, Talk Some Football. Oh, definitely. Uh, we, we peel off the first two layers. And let me, I know we're running out of time. What's wrong with this game? Because now I uh, pay attention to football more because I think you have to have at least three, really four weeks to really assess what you have. Because if you look at training camps, they're not the same. You look at preseason, they're not the same. You play one series. So now we're getting into football shape. Yeah. So my question to you is, why have teams abandoned the running game so quickly? Everybody's wanting to throw it 45 to 50 times. You look at the carries, a guy may have seven carries for 18. I mean, why have we abandoned the running game? Because we know come December, if you don't have one, you're watching January on TV. Yeah, you you need to be able to run the football. And, and Nick Chubb is one of the the leading rushers. The Browns are doing it correctly. Run the football, play defense, because then come December, January, that's what plays well. A lot of these teams are just fascinated. And I think Clay uh, Claves, it goes to what the college game has become. Every team is spreading it out, passing. You don't have the offensive linemen that are are locked in and and really run first offensive linemen. All these guys are spread offenses right. and they do a lot of passing. So when they get to the NFL, that transition to running the football is not there. Uh, so it starts in college and then the transition to, to the NFL. And I think that's why you see the NFL going, the game going the way that it is going. 
you know what I thought when I knew the running game had been abandoned? When I see offensive linemen wearing shells instead of shoulder pads. Yes. They don't, they don't, they don't use a body anymore. Look look at these guys. They're wearing shells, man. They're not wearing shoulder pads. Defensive linemen, too. That means they're not getting run blocked too hard where they need exactly. to put on pads. That's amazing. Man. Yeah. Don't even get me started. We don't have enough time. Next week, we, we will peel this layer off a little bit more. I'm all for it. Sounds good. Right. And tune into the Joe S5460 podcast wherever you find your podcast. And Claves will be tuned in tonight. Have fun. I'm looking forward to it, fellas. And um, it, it could be an epic night for the Cardinals. Should be looking great. To, especially in Milwaukee, man, because we like to – well, I'm not even going to go there. But uh, <laughs> this, this is an operation we, we love to – Pour on their floor. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Claves. All right, fellas. Take care. That's Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. Coming up, if they don't get the ball to Burden and Burden leaves, is it the end of the Mizzou football program? That's a great point by Claves. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brandy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the opening drive. It's time for today's big thing. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. You have to designate plays for this young man because this is your future. This is the future of the program. And if you don't, then I, I'm telling you, you uh, all of a sudden, Linden was the number one Division One program in the state. There you go. <laughs> go Lions, first of all. Mike Claiborne <laughs> with us on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. It is the opening drive. And CD, the strong comments by Mike Claiborne. And you're the head coach at Hazelwood Central. Mm-hmm. You know kids in the area. You've been a St. Louis football guy for a long time. What do you think of what Mike said? Yeah, I think he, I think he was spot on. I, I think when you have a guy, a young man like Luther Burden, who is one of the top recruits that the University of Missouri has ever had, and you, it, it's kind of a, it, it's a hard situation for a coaching staff, right? You have to find ways to get him the ball, but at the same time, he has to find ways to create separation and make plays. And I saw in the first half of the Auburn game, they threw him a slant. He was covered. He didn't really create separation. The ball bounced off his pads, picked. It was interception. Mm-hmm. So those things happen. But if you are the Missouri staff and you're not finding ways, creative ways to get the ball in his hands, because you've all we've all seen his film. We've all seen what he did in high school. We all know what he's done his first couple of games at the University of Missouri. You have to find a way to get him the ball. Because if you do not, these kids talk. They all pay attention. They're all on social media. They all understand, you know, what's going on in the landscape of college football. And also, there are going to be college coaches from Kansas, from Kansas State, from Texas, from Oklahoma, from Michigan, from from all of these other schools that are telling these young men, hey, you, you sure you want to go there? Look what they're doing with Luther. He's mm-hmm. one of the best players to come up out of here. You sure you want to go there? And, and that's how college coaches speak to these young men when they are recruiting them. So it becomes a, an issue that – you're fighting a battle of trying to find ways to win games if you're Mizzou, trying to find ways to get Luther Burden the ball as many early as often as you can, and also trying to find ways to not lose out on the guys that are are potentially the class of 23, the class of 24, these young men that are coming in behind him. And if you are not having, if you're not winning, mm-hmm. he's not touching the football, it's going to be a tough, tough road ahead of you to win games in the SEC and to and to and to keep your job as a staff because 
if you don't recruit well, recruiting is the lifeblood of, of any college football coaching staff. I, I tell I, the, my theory is if a, if a head coach wants to know how long he's going to have a job, talk to the high school coaches. They can tell you. We can tell you how long you're going to have uh-huh. your job because your assistants either are recruiting their butts off or they ain't answering the phones or they're not returning phone calls or they're not responding when they're sent messages of kids that could help your program. So if a head coach wants to know, hey, how long you think I'm going to be coaching? Eh, about two and a half years because mm-hmm. your coaches aren't doing a good job. So in order for your coaches to do a good job, you have to win games and you have to give the five-star recruit the football some some kind of way. You have to find ways to make sure he touches the ball. Okay, two questions. Number one, if because every coach that comes to Mizzou says we gotta seal the borders and East St. Louis is part of the borders. Yep. If Luther Burden is unhappy and leaves Mizzou, mm-hmm. does Eli Drinkwitz lose St. Louis? I think it depends on how it happens. So if if he's giving him the football and and Luther is just not making plays and he's frustrated and he leaves, then that's on Luther Burton. But if you are going an entire game against an Auburn team where you lose seventeen to fourteen and he does not have any, he has two targets and zero touches, man, that's not great. Right, that's no. not great for your football program. But are the kids in St. Louis? If Luther Burton says I'm unhappy here, this was a mistake. It, 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 like I said, it depends on how he leaves. If he leaves because he's not getting the ball, mm-hmm. it's going to yeah, be a hard road ahead. But if he's leaving because he's just not performing and he's not enjoying himself, then I don't think you lose you lose uh, control of of your recruiting hold in, in St. Louis. Okay, and then put you on the spot here, raw honesty. How long does Eli Drinkwitz have at Mizzou? You got to win. I'm asking, I mean, the, I think, I'm asking I think, the high school coach. I think if they if it continues in the way, if they don't win it, this year and next year, may be the last one because that's I mean that's any coaching staff in football. That's Brett Bielema at the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. That's any coaching staff. Three to four years is usually the time frame that you get to prove that you can be successful in your conference or not. And if you are not having success. You got a tough game this weekend if you're Eli Drinkwitz against Georgia and you know what they are. You have to compete in that game and not just get blown out of the water. You have to show progression. And the same thing I say for Illinois. They have to show progression every week. If Illinois goes out and loses to Wisconsin, it's going to be a rough – we're going to have the same conversations about Brett and what they're doing in in Champaign. So you got to win games and you got to get your guys the football to be successful. Good luck to Eli Drinkwitz and the Tigers this weekend. (laughs) Good luck. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, uh, more reflection on 700 home runs for Albert Pujols and on the Cardinals heading into the postseason with Buster Only of ESPN next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Gary Davis, Randy Carricker, one major league home run pursuit has concluded with Albert Pools hitting number 700 Friday night in L.A. And Aaron Judge now has gone six games since hitting number 60, and he still has a couple to go to beat the Roger Maris record, the American League record of 61 set in 1961. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend Buster Olney of ESPN, kind enough to join us this morning. Buster, good to have you with us. How you doing? Uh, glad to join you guys. Yeah, it, uh, it's it's fun down the stretch watching uh, you know these players pursue these milestone home runs. And let's start with the judge because uh, Mark, in 1998, Mark McGuire just kept hitting them, and he hit 60 uh, one day, and then 61, and I think he hit 60, 61, 62 in three consecutive days. I would have to believe, especially in the New York market, that there's a little bit of pressure now. Yeah, and I think that began to manifest on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you know, uh, because because. You know, Judge is, is very much a team guy. Like, and 
you know, he, I don't think he's accustomed to coming to the ballpark every day uh, thinking everything is about him and all, everything at the game is all about him and his at-bats, but it really is in the way that it was with McGuire in 98. You know, I was at the New York Times then, and uh, I remember being in St. Louis and following that and all the fans showing up for batting practice. Uh, it's, it's so much about Judge that during his plate appearances, uh, there is a an absolute silence that that manifests uh, when he's having his plate appearances. You know, Reese McGuire, the catcher of the Blue Jays, excuse me, catcher of the Red Sox over the weekend, told me about how uh, he, he, when the pitcher would start to go into his windup, you'd have this collective murmur from the crowd that would absolutely go away, and to where there was a moment of dead silence, and he could hear the swoosh of Judge's bat going through the strike zone and the contact of the ball and bat, he goes, I've never heard that before in a full stadium. Uh, but that's how much uh, you know they're locked in. I talked to Xander Bogarts, uh, the Red Sox shortstop, who's going for the batting title against Judge. If Judge doesn't get the triple crown, it's probably going to be because of Bogarts. And I said, hey, have you guys talked at all about you know going for the batting title? He goes, no. He said, we haven't talked about it at all. He said, normally when Judge gets to second base, he's such a great guy, and he's kind of joking back and forth, and he goes, this weekend he's been totally focused. And, and Xander didn't mean that as a negative toward him at all. He just knows that there's a lot of pressure on Judge's shoulders, and I think we're starting to see it. Uh, you know, his at-bats last night were better. I think he, at some point he'll get there, but there is a lot of pressure on him. Hey, Buzzer, he's putting a lot of pressure on the Yankees as well for, for next year in that contract. What are we looking at, wow. and, and is it the Yankees or is it someone else uh, that can pay him what he's going to deserve? Look, the direct and perfect parallel to the situation with Judge now is what the, the Cardinals had with Pujols at the end of 2011. You know, everybody in baseball at that time, you guys remember, assumed, oh, they'll work it out. Albert's a franchise guy, and he's going to go back to Cardinals, and, and you know, eventually there'll be a number on the table that two of them will work out. Um, I think the same thing potentially could happen with Judge this winter, where there's clearly going to be an opportunity, I believe, uh, for another team to swoop in with a big number and take them away. And maybe that's the Giants, you know, the team that Judge uh, you know, grew up uh, watching when he was a kid in California. The Yankees offered him $213.5 million in, in March. Uh, I think they'll increase that offer. I don't think they'll go nutty. So if some team uh, you know, puts out $350 million, I don't think the Yankees are going to chase it. And then we're going to find out what Aaron Judge really wants. We don't really know. You know, in the negotiations with the Yankees, uh, there hasn't been a situation where they put a number out there and then there's a counteroffer. It's just been no. Uh, and so we'll find out in the fall. Does he want 300 350 Does he want to play in another market? Which is all completely his prerogative. And, uh, you know, that'll all be revealed when he's in negotiations this fall. Buster, one of the cool things here in St. Louis now is that people are truly savoring this stretch run with Yachty and uh, and Albert, as they should be. But the, the Albert story, coming back for this final year and getting to 700 and having it be a good team, it's one of the best baseball stories for a season that I've ever seen. From the, the outside looking in, what's your national view of what's going on with Albert here in St. Louis? I'm really glad. I mean, first off, so happy for Albert, uh, but also relieved selfishly because it means that when he comes up for the Hall of Fame, I, as a writer, don't have to remind casual fans of how great he once was. Because <laughs> let's face it, guys, 
that's what we were looking at when he was released by the Angels. I thought his career was over. And I know a lot of people in baseball thought his career was over where, uh, you know, if in fact that had been the case when his name came up for the Hall of Fame, you would have had to have written, hey, forget about these last 10 years with the Angels. He was an inner circle Hall of Famer, you know, in the first 10 years of his career, first 11 years of his career with the Cardinals. And here's how great he was. Now, this is an appropriate ending to his career where he goes to Dodgers, has a great role. And this year, having this tremendous finish, especially from the home run derby onward, where people around the sport are honoring him. And, and I got to say, I mean, Albert has so, been so focused during his career. That's what's made him so great that there definitely have been times when it didn't feel like he always enjoyed it uh, because of that focus. And this year, he's just taken such joy out of the sport, which is why he was going around and thanking Dodgers officials for bringing him back last year and, and, and allowing him to sort of reset. It, it's been really great for a guy who now everybody knows, yeah, he's an inner circle Hall of Famer, only the fourth guy to get to 700 home runs. For a town where we really didn't want the DH, we thank our lucky stars every day that we got the universal yes. DH. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that created this opportunity for this year to happen. Uh, and, you know, and, and you do wonder, like, you know, the fact that uh, Albert was able to have a, you know, when he was with the Angels, I think when they began to move him into a part-time role, that's difficult when you've been the guy who signed a big contract. But when you go to the Dodgers, you go to the Cardinals, and it's said at the outset, we'd love to have you, but here's the part-time role. That's going to have a, you know, put him in a different mindset. I saw the same thing happen with Ichiro. When he was traded from the Mariners, the Yankees made it clear, look, if you want to come here, it's got to be in a part-time role so that by the time Ichiro got back to the Mariners, all of the prickliness and, and maybe you know, issues and questions about you know, how is he in the clubhouse and teammates, and stuff, that's all gone. And it's all pure joy, uh, and it's been a great summer watching all that. Uh, pretty cool for for Albert, uh, you know, and for St. Louis to have that. Hey, Buster, we've been fortunate here to see some great defense, and uh, Nolan Arenado, nine-time Gold Glove, more than likely going to be ten-time Gold Glover. Randy has told me that these past few months has been some of the best plays he's ever seen by a third baseman. Uh, is goal is is Arenado potentially one of the best third basemen to play this game, or is he is he on the path to become that? Uh, no doubt. And look, I believe in the progression and evolution of players so that, you know, anybody who says that, uh, you know, Babe Ruth is, is as good as Aaron Judge, uh, I, I just scoff at that, you know. And so, you know, you've had this great traditions of third baseman, you know, through the years, Brooks Robinson, Nolan, Nolan's at the top of the mountain uh, with all the plays that he has. And, and part of how what distinguishes uh, him is not only his relentless preparation. I remember watching he and Alex Rodriguez in a segment for Sunday Night Baseball, standing and talking defense. You know, that was fascinating. But my God, the fearlessness that he plays that position with. Uh, you know, and, and that, you know, probably most embodied by, you guys remember that play made in San Francisco when he was with the Rockies, going over, diving into the tarp to make a play, rolled up tarp. Uh, he's, he's just so good. And he has such passion for the sport, and he has such fearlessness that he distinguishes himself. 
One more thing for Buster only, and this is in regards to the Dodgers. The Cardinals just finished up with the Dodgers, and in four of the last five seasons, they've finished either one or two in the National League in wins. And this just seems to be another year where we will prohibitively pick the Dodgers to win the National League. Is there a hole in the Dodgers? Can they be beaten? Absolutely. And, in fact, I would push back on you in that regard and say that, you know, the Dodger team will go into the postseason uh, – under a lot of pressure, um, you know, we had the Dodgers in Sunday Night Baseball two weekends ago, and you, you talk to the players, they get it. Like, everything they've accomplished this summer will be completely wiped away in the eyes of history if they don't win the World Series. You know, and, and I covered the 98 Yankees uh, and that team, which I think is the, the best ever. I remember those players feeling that in the postseason, and oh, by the way, there are three teams, I think, that can beat them in the National League. The Braves are a great team, and they had success against the Dodgers recently in last year's postseason. Uh, the Mets, DeGrom, Scherzer, they can beat them. I think the Cardinals have gotten better during the course of the year. Uh, and there are cracks in that pitching staff, you know, rotation injuries. They just basically took Craig Kimbrell out of their closer role last week. Um, so that they have a tremendous talent. They have more depth than any team in baseball. But yeah, their pitching staff—they're going to have to come up with uh, you know complete re- rearrangement of the puzzle pieces to make it work. So I do think they can be beaten. Yeah, as, as you were saying that, Buster, I was thinking, yeah, Joe Torre wasn't taking Mariano Rivera out of the closer's role in 1998. <laughs> with a week to go in the season, no. <laughs> Yeah, and Dave Roberts knows. Like they, they know how vulnerable they potentially are, which I actually think probably you know puts them uh, you know puts them in a better mental state going to the playoffs. To understand, everybody on that staff is going to have to pitch in because they're going to use them in unusual roles. Buster, we always enjoy having you on. You always bring great material. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Have a great day and a great stretch run here. Guys, I always love talking with you. Thank you very much. That is Buster Olney, ESPN, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, getting ready for rock and roll. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Time to rock and roll here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Matthew, what do you got for us? We talked earlier, I guess, yeah, it was was yesterday. It's only Tuesday. There's no earlier dates. Earlier this (laughs) week about Ime Udoka's problem right now with the Celtics. Obviously, he's not going to be coaching the Celtics this year because he has been suspended for the year, and there's a good chance, I think, with some of the rhetoric going on right now that Ime Udoka's probably coached his last game Mm -hmm. for the Boston Celtics in his career, and unfortunately, the last few games of his Boston Celtics career were a collapse in the NBA Finals. And so, I mean, it's a pretty good team. They were literally in the NBA Finals, but some of the players had their first comments after the news yesterday, and I thought they were a little odd. Jalen Brown, initial reaction, like you said, I was a little confused. No one really has any of the information, so it's difficult to make a comment on how things were supposed to go and how the process went or anything. The best thing we can do is put our f- best foot forward. Also, Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. Literally, no one knows anything. We're still waiting just like everybody else was so a player. You'd like to know more, but that's none of our business. It's their lives, and the people are involved. Although, as a player, you'd like 
like to know, but like I said, it's not an obligation. This doesn't seem like a team coming off a finals loss that's really going to repeat a finals appearance. It's going to get ugly, I think, in Boston this year with the Uh, Celtics. It's going to get ugly. I think it's already ugly. On the court, it's going to get ugly. Well, yeah, I mean, they had some offseason issues with maybe potentially trading Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. You have that issue. Now you have your head coach who is no longer the head coach, and you're bringing in an interim coach, and, you know, and none of the players really know what's taking place or what's going on. It's 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 mind-boggling that they that you go from potentially winning a world championship four months ago. What month are we in? In June, July, August, September. Mm-hmm. Four months ago mm-hmm. to now, your head coach potentially, well, not potentially, not going to be there this season, and potentially not being there going forward. Your star, one of your star players, probably a little bit disgruntled with the trade talks in the offseason. It, it's a, it, it may be a dumpster fire, and and unfortunately for a franchise that is as good as as they have been, you know, through the course of NBA history. Uh, to go through this right now, not win a championship, and then have all these things take place is 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 tough to to deal with if you're a Boston Celtics fan. Guys, three letters if you don't know what's going on. T M Z. There you okay. go. They tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like how you didn't point that out. They are being a little bit. Like, come on, guys! Like they, you're they not reading you, the tabloids. Yeah, like yeah, you guys don't have. You gotta know. Like you, like you don't have somebody in your life. You know, probably a female friend who's like, did you see this stuff on E uh, about the girlfriend and what Nia Long said on Instagram? They are locked in on that stuff at a level yeah. that I, I, I'm quite envious. They're, they're, um, they're locked honestly. in. Honestly, you know, LeBron when this when the playoffs starts, he goes to dark, uh, dark mode mm-hmm. and he cuts everything off. There, that's the mode they're in right now. They don't turn any social media on. They're not paying attention <laughs> no. to those things. I'm glad you mentioned Pre-season. Mr. LeBron. James oh, because how about this? Next one. LeBron James is going to be leading an underdog squad this year, Randy Carricker. Anthony Davis coming out and saying that, yeah, we're, be- we're betting on ourselves this year and we're betting that we can break what everyone thinks about us. We're underdogs and we're going to beat what everyone thinks about us. How about that? The Los Angeles Lakers, led by the greatest player maybe ever to play the game, whoa, whoa. are underdogs. Whoa, whoa. Slow your roll. I said, I said arguably. Slow your arguably. roll, Rock. Arguably. Slow your roll, Rock. We, will not, we talked about Michael Jordan earlier. We will not have any Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jeffrey Jordan slander in this studio. At any point so going forward, so sir. You're, you're the Los Angeles Lakers, and you have the second best player ever there to play go. the game. Thank you. Thank you. How can you be Thank the you. underdog? <laughs> okay, now I, I haven't paid, I got to admit, I haven't paid exceptionally close attention to the NBA this offseason, but Russell Westbrook is still there, right? Yeah. Yes. So they're a legitimate underdog, and they aren't making the playoffs. Clearly. I mean, well, they didn't last year, so, I mean, it's truly, they are an underdog, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know how when you have Anthony Davis. LeBron James and Russell Westbrook, you 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 got a pretty good basketball team. Now they still have to fill out some some pieces around those guys, but they are you got you got LeBron James. Yep. You are never an underdog. He took a team of Cavaliers that you probably wouldn't be able to name the third player on that team to the finals. And they lost, but you know, he's a very good basketball player. He's just not the greatest player of all time, and we will not make that mistake again. Correct? Rock uh, no, no. Thank I, you, sir. Okay. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> I did not expect the triple Kerry Davis fight. I said arguably. I didn't even say well, I added not the even qualifier. Not and Kerry Davis not. was insulted by I'm the way I insulted. phrased things. My Lord very, Almighty. Very. <laughs> well, you know, the way that, you know, you just keep setting me up with these perfect transitions, Kerry Davis, Let's because go. the games change and sometimes you can't compare generations. And that's what's going on right now in New York. Some questioning to the management right now for Aaron Boone. He's being questioned. He said, 
nobody in the day with, with Roger Maris when he was going for 61 would have ever batted Roger Maris first in the lineup. Aaron Boone's response to that, 40 years ago they ran the wing tee and the wishbone 40 years ago. If a guy dunked, it was a big deal. The game evolves and changes. Randy, any issues with a potential ba- uh, you know, 61 home run hitter batting first in your, uh, in your lineup? If you don't have a leadoff hitter, and they don't, I don't have any problem with it now. In 1980, I was paying a lot of attention to football. Okay. And Don Coriel was in San Diego with the Air Coriel mm-hmm. offense. Bill Walsh was running the 49ers with his West Coast offense. Nobody was running a wing tee 40 years ago. No, well, in college, I think they were still. Well, maybe Princeton or something yeah, like that. There's a few wing tee offenses yeah. there. Yeah, 40 yeah. years but ago is 1980. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's crazy? That, that, that's, that's crazy, isn't it? Like You don't think about mm-hmm. 40 years ago being 19. You think 40 years ago. 1960s. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he may have been mistaken with, with the, the time frame. Maybe it meant 60 years 60 ago. 60 years ago. Yeah, 50, 60 years ago. Okay, and they very well might have been running the wing tee then. But yeah, sports evolves and in an ideal lineup, you wouldn't have Aaron Judge hitting leadoff and Giancarlo Stanton hitting second. But for $250 million, they don't have an ideal lineup. You gotta you gotta give him more at bats, and he's gonna he's he's trying mm-hmm. to, to to break this record, so they're giving him more at bats, yeah. and, and I have no issue with that. I, I, I do want to say something. We watch the MLB Network is on, and I don't know if anyone else has been paying attention, but there was a montage of bad hit balls, and that's uh, that's how, it was bad hit balls, and that's how you I can leave it at that, mm-hmm. and you can figure it out. Maybe Google what was taking place on MLB Network. It was a lot of balls being hit, and it was it was bad hit balls by mm-hmm. baseball players. It was very intriguing that they had that many. It happens a lot. It was it was intriguing that there were that many, and it didn't look very good. So eh, it's interesting. By the way, one other thing we noted during one of the breaks is that Chris Bryant, and by the way, St. Louis is boring, so don't come here, Chris. Yes. 42 games played this year, shut down for the rest of the season by the mm-hmm. Rockies mm-hmm. after signing that $182 million contract with Sounds Colorado. like the baseball gods were, were listening to his, uh, his, his words, huh? Yeah. Ain't been great. He got his ring, and I'm sure it was worth it. But that's what happens when you mess around with the universe. There you go. And he he did. And he's a former Cub, so we don't don't really care. Last one for today, the Broncos. It was much talked about after that first week, problems with the decision-making when they came out and said, (laughs) we're sticking with it. And then Nathaniel Hackett had some regrets immediately in his Monday presser. And so what did the Broncos do? They brought in a game management coach to help out Nathaniel Hackett. They hired Jerry Rosberg out of retirement, and they brought him in. And what did we get from that? One of the worst games I've ever seen played, including an instance where down down 10 to 5 in the fourth and facing a fourth in inches the broncos went against the numbers by every next gen stat that they have out there and decided to punt the football they are one in seven this year when making the decision that the numbers say they should they have lost 31 percent win probability total across those seven decisions it's not going well before so they must be really good yeah it's it's not going if if you've lost 31 percent of your win win probability and you're two and one right apparently you're not complete (laughs) garbage matter then huh but the game management coach not working too well out of the gate for the broncos the issue with that play in particular it was fourth and inches i believe is when russell wilson stuck the ball out tried to get the first down they challenged it you, you mm-hmm. at that point in the game, you already lost a challenge on a call that that I I don't think you should have challenged, but you challenged that one as well, and you don't get it. If you're gonna, don't need to challenge it. Just go for it or punt it, I, I, because mm-hmm. those fourth and inches is not a play in that moment that you should be challenging. And I I think when you're looking at Daniel Hackett and and what he's dealing with, they, 
I, I would. The Broncos do not have a problem with firing a coach after a couple of years. No, they they did it with Van Joseph. They did it with Vic Vangio. They did it with Gary Kubiak. They don't have a problem. And and, and he Gary, may, they have a new owner that didn't hire this guy. There you go. So he may be a guy that after this season, if you are looking at it and and trying to figure out where this offense, where this organization, where this team is going. I don't know that he's the leader of men that you need at this point. If you have to hire someone else to tell you when to call a timeout, you probably shouldn't be a head coach. But if you have the self-awareness and get the right guy that can really help. if Mike Martz could have used that when he was here. In my and and so here's my theory: If you have to have someone do that for you, you probably shouldn't be the head coach because the head coach is the one that makes those decisions. Even if you're calling offense or you're calling defense, you have to be so in tune to the game that know each game situation, each down and distance, you know where we are on the field, time management, all of those things are on the head coach. It's in the title. But you're right. You're right. But if you're self-aware enough to realize. I think Nathaniel Hackett may be that he shouldn't be a head coach and he realizes he needs help. Why not go get it? You know what I think he shouldn't be is the offensive coordinator. He probably should have hired one of those and he can handle the the head coaching responsibilities because he's not doing a great job at either one right now. No, he's not. It's it's (laughs) remarkable that they're two and one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 43 points in three games. Yeah, I'm glad. It's beautiful. I'm glad that I'm not sitting in that guy's press conferences every oh Monday. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I think the NFL, that's the one thing the NFL has gotten right compared to a couple of the other sports is just the way that they hire coaches and they break it down and they segment it and they say, you take this position group, you take this position group, you call our offensive plays, you call the defense. I think NBA teams and, and other sports, if they, you know, if you could fit it in the budget, would benefit from that kind of breakdown. So it seems a little excessive. It might not be working here. But, again, if you have that blind spot, hire somebody to take care of it. I love the idea. It used to be that the NFL would hire guys who had charisma and leadership ability. The NFL was hiring people like Dick Vermeil and Bill Parcells and Jim Hannafin and Bill Walsh and Mike Ditka, people that had personalities. There are two or three personalities among head coaches in the NFL right now, but there isn't an awful lot of charisma. It's it's kind of gone kind of the, the baseball route where it doesn't seem like they're leaders as much as they are numbers people. We need we need we need Tomlin get, is a very charismatic yes. guy. Yes, he is. Not a lot of Denny Greens out there who are both no, both geniuses go. schematically as well as being personalities exactly. at the podium. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. That's Rock and Roll on 101 ESPN. A huge announcement coming up about something that we've got going on with the station on Thursday that we're going to provide for you next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. So we just announced within the last hour that on Thursday, this coming Thursday, day after tomorrow, the 29th, I am going to be at the Chick-fil-A in De Pere to help raise funds for Big League Impact. That's right. You place a mobile order through the Chick-fil-A app at any participating St. Louis area location, and 25% of all mobile order sales on Thursday will go to Big League Impact, up to $10,000 raised by Chick-fil-A. And that includes the De Pere location where, Carrie, I will be on Thursday, hanging out, giving away 101 swag from 11 to 1 at the Chick-fil-A at 11997 Manchester. I know how to get there. I have been there in the past, and, well, more than once I, I have been there in the past. And... Uh, I hope they have a number one ready for me with a Diet Dr. Pepper. 
That's um, that's going to be an awesome event for you, Randy. You I'm t- sure. Yeah, they'll love to come out and check you out. Come talk to you for a few minutes and you know get some advice about how to beat you in the fight. Yeah, that's, I'll provide that. <laughs> I'll provide. I'll ask Uncle Randy secrets. So you can support Big League Impact on Thursday with Chick Fil A and 101 ESPN, and I'll see you there from. 11 to 1. And by the way, we have Ask Uncle Randy tomorrow morning mm-hmm. here on the opening drive at uh, 7.15, 7.30. And hopefully we'll be celebrating, Kerry Davis, a Cardinal Division Championship. I hope so. I, I, as I said earlier, doing it in your uh, divisional opponent's home on their home field and in their locker room, uh, you know, pouring a little champagne and beer on the floor in there. They got to clean it up at some point. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. not our problem. It's their problem. No, and I better. will not be surprised. But the Cardinals... Yeah, they have things to get straightened out. I, I still would not be surprised if in a week, Goldie and Arenado are back. And I, I'm like everybody else. I have concerns about Adam Wainwright and his health and, and the dead arm. But I still like their other four starters. And I think that they can do damage not only in a first-round series, but in a second-round series. More concern now or when they were going through that, that scoreless drought uh, last week? Because we have wins in our recent history— mm-hmm. And runs in our recent history. More important. I'm, I'm less concerned now. And <laughs> okay. I, I kind of throw, I think the Dodgers, like Buster said, Dodgers in the regular season are great. If, if you lose to the Dodgers, that's going to happen. That's just a given whoever you are in the National League. So I kind of throw that out. Okay. I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to seeing Goldie get a couple of hits mm-hmm. tonight. Preferably some in the gap drive, you know, get some hit some hard hard hit balls and see how far uh, how well we can get go, get this offense going. Yeah. You know what the Dodgers are in the playoffs? This is politically incorrect. The Dodgers are Peyton Manning. Mm. When when one or two championships every now and then in a yeah. eighteen but year career, maybe go five hundred in the playoffs. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, not great. No, maybe under five hundred in the playoffs. It might be. He played. He ran into a few uh, Patriot teams that won a few yeah. Super Bowls. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, he did. Did you guys get him in the playoffs? Uh, well, no. 05, right? Oh, oh, I before you were there, yeah, though, yep, they got yeah. him. That was the that fumble, was the game fumble when Ben made when the ben, fumble. Yeah, the tackle, yeah right? that was a whole interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Vanderjack missed a field goal. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, the idiot kicker. The idiot that's, kicker. Yeah, that's right there before that's right before the Venetary switch from New England to uh, yep. Indy like the next year. Right, yep. Great job by our producer engineer today, the one the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure, and I will say tomorrow, uh looks like nine o'clock's gonna be pretty packed. We're gonna be starting our blues weekly play interview with Robert Thomas tomorrow at nine, and then it looks like Adam Wainer at nine thirty. All right. Looking forward to that. C D. We should do this tomorrow. Let's do it. <laughs> Go Hawks. <laughs> we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel anytime. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.